have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. fraud, COVID, pandemic, lockdowns, inflation, crop shortage, toilet paper shortage. It's crazy. If you're worried about the future, I really don't blame you. Millions of Americans are wondering what to do. How do you hedge your bed? How do you protect yourself and your family? Well, Americans are quietly stocking up on emergency food, shouldn't you? So ask yourself, do you currently have enough food on hand to get you through the next month? If not, you should strongly consider getting a four-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparer of this company, and their mission is your survival. They've served millions of American families, and they will be honored to serve you too. So right now, you can save $50 off their four-week emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and even snacks. This food gives you a minimum requirement of 2,000 calories per day, and the special packaging keeps it fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. You can't go wrong. So head on over to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit at this special price. You'll save $50 per kit if you act now. So if you're on my website listening to this show, go up to the top corner and you'll see my smiling face on the left-hand side where it says prepare. Click on that link to My Patriot Food. 
or you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle at southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my debonair and oh-so courageous co-host, because he's here with me, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you today? All right. I'm kind of floating like two inches off the chair with that introduction there. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it anyway. Oh, man. Uh, We got ourselves a jam-up show again, as usual. I mean, catch this. Uh, thankfully, you know, you brought three of them on. I brought uh, the other two. Um, but we have Sergio Ortez, who is running for Congress out of Florida District 9, uh, followed by, uh, drumroll, uh, the son of Rudy Giuliani, Andrew Giuliani, who was also a Trump advisor. Uh, he's running for governor in New York. He'll be joining us. Then we have Kelvin Wimbash, and I'm, I think I'm going to really enjoy talking to him. He's running for Congress out of Florida District 10. And then we have Kathy Barnett joining us once again. She's been with us before. She's running for Senate out of Pennsylvania. And then the Heritage Foundation is sending us over Doug Badger. He's the Senior Fellow of Domestic Policy Studies. And uh, his expertise is in the medical field. And with everything that's going on with COVID, Obozo care, and everything else, uh, we have so much to talk up with him about. So we've got ourselves a really huge jam-up show. And next week, we got Kat Kamak coming on. Uh, we wow. also have John o- O'Connor, uh, who wrote the book Postgate about uh, the uh, Watergate uh, deep throat. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about the SCOTUS picks and everything else. So we got a great shows lining up in the future already. So Annie's back in the game. So I want to welcome everyone. And right now we have, uh, before I jinx myself, I'm going to say it, no major glitches with our video feed going up on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, we're Everything's running fine. We're doing great today so far, Curtis. I, I see, and I hope it stays that way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So with that said, um, everyone knows that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And this dedication was requested by a future guest of ours who has not yet appeared on the show, but he gave me a couple of names when I asked him who he would like us to dedicate shows to. And this was the special dedication And I don't know if many people remember back in 2003, the uh, destruction of the shuttle Columbia. And uh, in honor of that, it would be almost, this is 22, 19 years ago, almost on this date, on February 1st of 2003, the space shuttle Columbia. 16 minutes from touchdown broke apart over Texas. And today's dedication is going out to Commander William Willie McCool uh, and the crew of um, 
STS-107. And this is from NASA government. And it reads, Commander, the crew of the STS-107 was Commander Rick Husband, Pilot Willie McCool, Payload Commander Michael Anderson, Mission Specialist Kalpena Koala, David Brown, Laurel Clark, and Payload Specialist Ilion Roman. January 16, 2003, at 10.39 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Columbia lifted off on time on the first shuttle mission of the year. It carried seven crew members, including the first Israeli astronaut, on a marathon international scientific research flight. In Shreveport, Louisiana, nearly 85,000 pieces of outer debris were shipped to KSC and housed in the Columbia Debris Hangar, the shuttle landing facility. The KSC Debris Reconstruction Team identified pieces as to location on the orbiter and determined damage areas. About 38% of the orbit of Columbia was eventually recovered. The mission highlights as a research mission, the crew was busy 24 hours a day performing various chores involved with scientific experiments. Some included those sent by school children. From NavalHistory.org Commander William C. McCool, United States Navy, gave his life on February 1, 2003 while piloting the Space Shuttle Columbia mission STS-107. Foam from the external fuel tank broke off and struck the shuttle's left wing during takeoff. The seemingly minor damage led to the shuttle's disintegration during reentry more than two weeks later. McCool had several schools, tracks, parks, and buildings named in his honor. There are even memorials to him spread across the solar system. There is an asteroid, 51829, William McCool, and McCool Hill on Mars. One of the most personal memorials, however, resides on the U.S. Naval Academy cross-country course in Annapolis, Maryland. The stone tablet sits just behind the 15th tee on the Naval Academy golf course. There's a small gravel path off Greenbury Point Road near the intersection with Kincaid Road that leads up to the hill to the memorial. The location may seem odd and out of the way to most, but it bears a great significance. As a midshipman, McCool was a stellar student. He graduated second in the class of 1983. McCool went on to be an EA-6B Prowler pilot and a test pilot before he entered NASA's astronaut program in 1996. While at the Naval Academy, he was also an unexpectedly successful cross-country and track and field athlete. There were many faster midshipmen before and after him, but with hard work and determination, he proved he had a place on the team. By his first-class senior year, members of the Navy cross-country team elected him 
their team captain. During that year's Navy invite, on the 2nd of October, 1982, McCool ran his fastest time on the home course. The meet was staffed more than usual that year, with nationally ranked Georgetown and Syracuse in attendance. Syracuse's Jim O'Connell had already was a four-time All-American, earning two more before he graduated. This was the type of racing the Navy cross-country head coach Al Cantello loved. He hated small meets with easy wins. He'd rather his team lost miserably, giving everything against the best in the nation, although he certainly preferred that it won. O'Connell outclassed everyone at the starting line that morning, but McCool made him earn a win. McCool ran a 24-27 that day. That's 4.53 per mile over eight hilly kilometers. It was one of the fastest times run by a midshipman on the course at the time. O'Connell won, but he had set a new course record to do it. His record stood for almost 25 years. It took future L.A. and Boston Marathon champion Wesley Carrar to beat it in 2007. McCool's memorial on the course was dedicated on the 2nd of December, 2007. Dozen of alumni from the team, NASA astronauts, and McCool's family. Jim O'Connell was even there. On the side facing the road, the memorial has a bronze image of McCool racing on the course and a short biography. It also includes a message he gave during Columbia's crew wake-up on the 29th of January, 2003. Quote, From our orbital vantage point, we observe an earth without borders, full of peace, beauty, and magnificence. And we pray that humanity as a whole can imagine a borderless world as we see it and strive to live as one in peace, unquote. The Navy Academy had hosted the Israeli-Palestine Peace Conference the week before, and Superintendent Vice Admiral Jeffrey Fowler commented on the timeliness of McCool's world vision. The opposite side of the memorial bears STS-104 mission patch, and in large, bold letters, 16 minutes from home, the Columbia broke apart on reentry. 16 minutes before the scheduled landing at 9.15 on 1 February 2003. When NASA investigators inspected the Columbia surviving equipment, they found that McCool's R2 instrument panel indicated it had been operated in the shuttle's final moments. As the shuttle's pilot, McCool continued to maneuver the Columbia as it disintegrated around him. The memorial was erected where McCool would have been at 8.27 into his fastest race, 16 minutes from the finish of the 1982 race when he wouldn't give in. For those racing the course, the monument sits just short of the one and three-quarter miles into the most almost five-mile course. After a lonely stretch up a steep hill named Big Bertha and over a series of rolling hills known as the roller coaster, there is no better source of inspiration 
than coming up the hill with 16 minutes from home, staring at you, asking if you can do what Willie did. Today's show is dedicated to Commander William Willie McCool and to all of the crew of STS-107. We also dedicate the show to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our military. From the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders. And please pray, because every day more and more law enforcement officers are being shot and killed. Also to those that serve in the fire department and as first responders, emergency services. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
Show.com. And we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Facebook, YouTube. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put it dash in the middle of Southern Sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least most is the radio chickadee, Annie, <laughs> along with my, ooh, <laughs> I don't know what else to call you today, Curtis, but you're something out there. <laughs> Curtis, Forgetful. Oh, man. Again, I want to welcome everyone that's in our chat room here on Blog Talk, as well as those that are starting to show up at Facebook and YouTube. And it looks like we got everything rocking and rolling today. Yay. Yay, yes. And I see... Hot diggity dog. Hot diggity dog. We're doing fine today. Yes. And yes, we've got people out there. Little clamp it there. Yeah, hot diggity dog. So we're rocking and rolling here today, guys. Ah, man. You know, there's got so much to talk about. I got a pardon. I got a little bit of a dry throat today. But we have a lot lot going on. And holy cow, I don't even know where uh, to start. But I've been picking up article after article. And, you know, people people are getting nuts. With this cancel culture, I, they're really going ape on this stuff. It's as if you're not allowed to have a, a political opinion if you disagree with the left. How dare you end up, you know, you may be a popular, you know, public figure, uh, actress, musician, or whatever, but if you don't think the same way the left does, you're canceled. You're, 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 you're canceled. Perfect example of that backfiring. Oh, this was all over the news the last two days. Uh, what's his name? Um, oh, cause I just had a, a brain fart. A musician that said, if you don't take my music down, if you don't take Josh Rogan down off of Spotify. Was that James Taylor? You got a name? I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, brain fart, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, but but he said he he turned around and sent a letter to Spotify. Actually, he sent it to his managers, who then forwarded it to Spotify. Take everything down of mine off of Spotify, um, or you take James Rogan down, Josh Rogan down. Well, Spotify said, um, no problem. Take all of your music down. We don't care. You're 74 years old. You're a has been. He's got something like 11 million viewers a show, a show. I'm lucky if I get 50,000. I'm not doing too bad, honestly. You know, here on Blog Talk, you don't see the numbers, but they are up on the other, other websites. And I, I, I do fine. I'm not in the 
league of Josh Rogan or Candace Owens or anyone anyone else like that. I don't even try to pretend. I don't think my ego could push push me or propel me. Plus, I really don't give a damn. But he said, I'm going to yank all my stuff or you yank Josh Rogan. And Spotify says, we'll do you a favor. You don't have to do it. You don't have to lift a finger. We'll do it for you. We'll keep his 11 million hits. Capitalism wins over your political correctness. I love it. Good. Now, the newest uproar, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't go to the movies. I, I can't tell you the last time I went to the movies. I think last time I went was to see, um, oh, shoot, I, I can see his face. I'm having major brain farts today. What is this with me? Dinesh D'Souza's movie, uh, one oh. of the ones he, one of the, I think it was the second one he did. And what, I think that was 16, the last time I've been like in a, Yeah. Was it 16 um, or one of those? One of those, I forget. Yeah. Uh, but it was the last time. I mean, my <clears> husband <throat> and I went to the movie theater a total of three times in the 30 years we, we were together. And the latest one is actress Eveline Evangeline, Evangeline Lilly. And obviously she's one of these Marvel characters. I think they call her the Wasp or something like that. Well, she went on the anti-vax rally. And all of a sudden... Uh oh! Someone's got a speaker on in the background. Turn off your speaker, because uh, you give me an echo. All right, that's good. Thank you very much. Uh, but uh, but she went on this rally, and all of a sudden, all these fans are writing all these nasty stuff to her. You know, telling Marvel, "Don't make another movie with her." You know, get get over it, people. You're allowed to have a different opinion. You're allowed to disagree with people. Just do it civilly. Don't cost them their livelihoods. You know, that, that's, that's just pure stupidity and ego. Because one day it's going to come back and bite you in the butt the same way it bit James Taylor. Anyway, let's welcome onto the show, uh, running for Congress out of Florida District 9, Sergio Ortiz. Buenos dias. How are you doing, Mr. Ortiz? Hey, sir. Oh, what happened? We Did lost we him. We you? lost him. We lost him. Yeah, he dropped. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I think he figured that we were going to cancel him out. I <laughs> know. <laughs> so I hope he does call back. <clears throat> but, oh, man. Just whatever, you know, what are these people thinking? That anonymously they're going to hit. And you know, very few of them actually use their real name. They use all these screen names, and they, they hit you in the dark. It's like, you know, boy, I cannot think today. Stealth, it's like a stealth fighter. You know, they figure, if you don't know who I am or where I am, you can't come back and attack me, but I can have the freedom to attack you however I want. Real good. Real courageous people. Real courageous. All right. I think Curtis is trying to get Sergio back in on the line. So hopefully he'll be able yeah, to I do that. Yeah, just send him a text. Yeah, just tell him to call back in. But, you know, just think of this. You know, how how courageous are these people? You know, they don't even use their real names. Um, there's one person that says, recast immediately. They shouldn't have let uh, Letitia, they should have recast Letitia Wright. They should recast Evangeline Little. Ain't nothing. I love the grammar. 
just look like I love that grammar. Ain't nothing special about M. <laughs> you trying to sound like you your street creds? <clears throat> you know, um someone said she'd rather be stuck in a production of Steel Magnolias. You know what? If you ever watched the movie Steel Magnolias, you would know about the strength of those women there. So, you know, yeah, I, I never she probably that. would be she probably would be great in, in Steel Magnolias. Because that those were women that had real courage to face up to certain things that a lot of people are looking for their safe space. Oh, forget about it. You know, get get your safe space. Jeez. Get a life. Oh, but then again, we're talking about the left. So that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. Anyway, Curtis. No. Well, wait, waiting for Sergio to call back in. Hopefully he'll do that soon. But some yeah. of the other things. He, he, he may be traveling and just hit a, one of those dead, dead spots. Yeah. 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 But uh, he'll call back as soon as he can. But yeah, he, yeah, I understand the cancel culture. They cannot tolerate anyone that that um, doesn't agree with their line of thinking, and um, yet they 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 claim to be open-minded. They claim to be hmm. you know sensitive to to everyone's opinion. But just like the names of their programs, like the Affordable Care Act. Just don't add up. The Unaffordable Care Act. <laughs> there you go. It's usually, mm-hmm. it's usually the opposite of what they're saying, you know. Yep. But, um, Absolutely. But anyway, uh, moving on, this is something else I picked up. Now, folks, here is the perfect reason why you should never have recreational marijuana legal. Colorado was the first state to make recreational marijuana legal. Keep that in mind now, folks. Keep that in mind. So you can buy and smoke pot just as easily as you can buy a quart of Sneaky Peak at the local liquor store. So you can drink and you can smoke pot. Fine. I don't mind. I love my scotch. I'm not going to give up my scotch, that's for sure. But I'm not going to be smoking pot. That's for damn sure. That does something to your brain cells. And uh, Colorado, there's a school in Colorado, Colorado Centennial Elementary, that says there's nothing political about indoctrinating kindergartners. Absolutely nothing. So they're going to teach five and six years old about the LGBTQ and the Black Lives Matter propaganda. Um. Because a five and six year old will understand that. I mean, a nine or ten year old has a hard time understanding that. Definitely not a five or six year old. But they plan on participating in the Black Lives Matter at School Week in Action, January 31st. That's coming up just in a couple of days on Tuesday through February 4th, according to a report from Parents Defending Education. So. They're going to be teaching Black Lives Matter and the LBGT community to kids as young as five and six years old in this Colorado elementary school. Mm, horrible. So, 
I'm telling you, this is this is a perfect example why you should never legalize marijuana because these guys had been smoking one hell of a doobie in order to decide they can teach five and six years old about Black Lives Matter and the LBGTQ XYZ community. With that said, with that rant going on, let's bring on our, our first victim of the day, running for Congress out of Florida District number number nine, Sergio Ortiz. Good afternoon, Mr. Ortiz. How are you today? Good afternoon. I am blessed and highly favored. How are you? All right. I am, I'm, I'm having one of those days. I'm on my rant. I am going <laughs> crazy with my rant. I mean, can, can you imagine... What would you do, Sergio, if if some school turned around and said, "You're five and six year old. We're going. It's not propaganda. We're not indoctrinating them, but we're going to teach them about the LBGTQ community and about Black Lives Matter, and we're going to teach them about the Black Lives Matter doctrine. That's not propaganda, and that's not brainwashing children. Is that not children child abuse? It is a form of child abuse because you, if you're teaching something that is contrary to your morals, it goes against every fiber of your being. They're actually indoctrinating. Uh, my family, on my wife's side, they escaped from Cuba. And I speak with a lot of people from Venezuela, and that's exactly what they do. Once the child is, is in school, the school is the one mm-hmm. who tells them how, why, when, and where, and this is how, what you're going to learn. And... It, it it is very well written. Raise up a child in the way that it should go. The same thing is with schools. If if they put garbage into the kids, that's what they're going to get. Garbage in, garbage out. Because now this child's going to be growing up confused. Now, which what is right? My parents are teaching me one thing, but the schools tell me my parents are wrong and teaching me something else. Exactly. That's going to be causing a lot of mental health issues. I'm well, seeing a whole generation of these kids coming up with problems that just they can't even think straight. Right. Well, the thing that I'm doing with my grandkids is this is this is the way real life is. What the teacher is teaching you, you answer the questions to the question that she's asking, but your beliefs are this way. So that way we, we indoctrinate and we tell the kids what it is that our core values are before the teachers indoctrinate them, and and we set them up so that they know the truth before the teachers, and they answer the questions that the teacher wants them to answer, but it's not from the heart. It's just to pass a test. Well, isn't that kind of like lying and cheating? It is. Uh, it is, because it's either... They stand up and, and argue with what uh, the teacher get a poor grade because I know the teachers will fail them just because or just get, get by. I have a uh, difference of opinion, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's scary because you, you, you're actually telling the kids it's okay <clears throat> to lie, but, you know, if you just want to get past the school, but why don't we just fight the schools? Why don't we just say, you know, this should not be in the schools. This should not be taught. We disagree with you and pull it off the curriculum. Listen, I went to college, and uh, I went to college in Chicago, and I finished here in Orlando. So in order to, to get a passing grade, yes, we do need to have uh, better education. We need to, to change the way the education system is. But 
we're not we if we tell the kids to fight with the teachers all the time, that's going to hinder the education. What we do need to do is fight the system and change the education system so that we don't have to have a, this moral uh, dilemma where we have to tell the kids to just answer a question to satisfy the teacher, where we should have the teachers just teaching the way they're supposed to without having to to have the child's um, having to, to pass a test about how their true feelings or their beliefs are. Wow. That is, that's a huge dilemma. But, you know, when I went to college, I saw the beginning of, of the liberalization of education. And at, at that time, at least we were able to debate the professor. And right. they were open to debate. And it was like, right. well, fine, you know, if you give me a good argument, and you stand by that argument, I'm not going to fail you. I'm going to commend you on by standing by your principles. But we don't see these teachers doing that anymore. You're not allowed no. to have an opposing opinion to the teacher. The teacher is then God in the room. And that's yes. got to stop because you're a human being. You are fallible. doesn't mean your opinion is wrong, but it also doesn't mean your opinion is right. So you've got to be open to allow the student to think and develop independently and become their own person. But that's not what our that's school systems how, are doing. No, they're not teaching kids uh, how to be, how to socially be acceptable. They're teaching this uh, political correct uh, ma- mandate that they have, and it's not even politically correct. It is do as I say, and that's it. That's <laughs> communism. Because you're correct. When you and I, uh, I went to, I was in the 70s, I was in middle school. And if you had a difference of opinion, you expressed it, and and we have a dialogue. But now, if you have a difference of opinion, you're a pariah, and you are to be ostracized, and you are to be brought down, and the heavy hammer of political correctness falls on top of you, and there's a lot of kids who cannot withstand the pressure. No, no child should be forced to withstand that pressure, but they should be allowed to develop independently and to be able to think on their own, to give them confidence so that when they do become adults, they are able to enter society and not have to run for a safe space just because someone looked at them the wrong way or they were wearing the American flag, heaven forbid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's, that's the fight that we have with the school systems now. Um, I am so glad that the American people, are, are their eyes are getting open. And it's not that they're getting open. They're getting vocal. They're getting uh, – they, they, they're treating us now as, as terrorists, which we are not. If terrorists were the ones who conquered this nation when we had a, the Civil War, then so be it. But we are being boisterous. We're telling the – the community is we're not going to take your, your critical race theory. We're not going to take um, your one-sided opinion of how life is supposed to be. And we are raising up uh, a, a higher standard of education and expecting more from the Department of Education. Now, I'm going to switch the subject a little bit because your background is in real estate, uh, mortgage broker, real estate broker. Um, and right now we're seeing what I call biflation, the Biden inflation movement. Uh, <clears throat> and it's really hurting 
a lot of people attempting to become first-time home buyers. You know, now you're looking to head to Congress. What would you suggest that we do once you get to Congress to bring our economy back in line and to help people become independent homeowners? Because even not only that, rent is going up. A lot of people can't even afford their rent anymore, much less groceries. What we need to do is open up this economy. Once we open up the economy, then there's more places for people go, to go and find jobs. And once we have a demand for employees, that's when they start raising the, the wages. I was talking to a businessman. Uh, he has a restaurant, and he said that he had to raise his wages just to keep the people who are working for him. The uh, supply and demand is going to di- dictate everything. As long as there's people, for perfect example, we have people from New York who are rich in money. They sell their million-dollar house, and they come here to Florida, and they see a $400,000 house. Well, they have leftover money, so they, they bid, and they have the capacity. But once that market um, runs dry, that's when the prices are not going to come down. But I will see that the income of the people are going to start rising again, economy moving. It, it's, the, it's like the Clintons were right. Is the economy stupid. If we have people <laughs> who are barely making it, they're not going to be able to afford. We need to have higher-paying jobs. Uh, like, in, in, for instance, here in Osceola County, we need to make industry that makes um, the pace better. Uh, they are trying to... Even the county people, they're trying to raise taxes by, by a penny, which a lot of people say it's just a penny, but a penny adds up. A thousand dollars, that's a hundred dollars out of, out of your pocket. So it's not to raise taxes on the people, it's to lower the taxes, give incentives to corporations to come and open up shop, places where you're going to be making more money, incentivize people to excel. And, and people, and I, I also tell people, you know what, if you don't have a job, try to open up your own business. So that way you can dictate how much money you're going to be spending and how much money you're going to have. And uh, it's just the mindset. We have to tell the people, yes, prices are going up, but with the right uh, strategies, you can afford to buy a house. And a lot of people, I tell them, if you're going to buy a car and you're going to buy a house, don't buy the car yet. Try to make uh, survive what you have. Try to pay off the car. And then after you buy the house, then, then you can have the capacity because it, it's everything. You either have the money, you either have a car payment, and some people have a $1,000 car payment. So either you have a car oh. payment or you have a house. You know? $1,000 car I, payment. I've with seen people with over $1,000 car Yeah. Whoa. I, I freak out when it's over $200. <laughs> so no. $1,000? No, 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 no. On, <laughs> average, I've seen, on average, I've seen $500, $700, and those people who are going to buy an Audi, who's going to buy a BMW, who wants to buy a Mercedes, their their, their payment's going to be a thousand dollars. Whoa! I'm sorry. I'll I'll stick with my Ford and Chevy, <laughs> made in America. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the one of the beautiful things about our country, I believe, is the fact that you go into business and um, sell whatever service or product that you have, and lift yourself up by the bootstraps. A lot of yes. countries don't allow for that or don't, doesn't um, give you the opportunity. And I think that's something we should uh, remind people of. You don't have mm-hmm. to be dependent on government or even a nine-to-five job. You know, if you got some great ideas and you believe in yourself, you know, go after your dream. 
That's what I say. <laughs> you, have you ever heard of uh, Madam C. C. L. Walker? Thing no. sounds familiar. Huh? No, I haven't. Hello? Okay. Yeah, uh, C.S. Walker, in the 1900s, 1900s, a widower with a daughter, she uh, started selling her own uh, beauty products. 1919, oh. she was a millionaire. Oh, oh, she was the first black millionaire. She was the first black female millionaire. Thank you. It, it took a while. Yeah, the I heard started to remind me. Yeah. That, it, but, see, I, this is a steel trap here. Sometimes I have to open the door to let out the information. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a lot of numbers. But she was a woman that if you look at today's society, she should be a welfare case. Chose mm-hmm. to do better and, and take advantage of the opportunities that this country has given her, and she built an empire. Why can't we do that? Why do we have to rely on government to supply all our needs when that's not their job? Their job is to build roads, keep taxes low, and and help the country move forward. Well, you well, know, you, because you are kids are being told they can't make it here in the United States. That's well, what they're being taught in school. No. Well, also, Curtis, uh, you, Sergio, you are an ordained minister also, so you would understand this. The idea is that they worship at the altar of government and not at the altar of God. That's exactly. the whole purpose. Yeah, and, and they have been, they have been uh, I, I call it fooled, indoctrinated, or, or guided. Uh, I saw a special when I lived in Chicago. And they were talking about Cabrini Greens, and not a lot of people know that was a project. And they had it's like a ten-story building, and on the sixth floor they had the lady, and they were talking to her. And then on the fourth floor they had the daughter, and they were talking to her. And on the third floor they had the daughter of the daughter, her granddaughter, three generations, living out of the public project instead of incentivizing those people to go out there. And make something of yourself. You could do better than just waiting for the government check to sustain you, and then you don't have to be complaining about affordable living because you can you you determine where you're going to live and how you're going to spend your money. Yeah, but you can't get those votes unless you lock in generational poverty, which is what you're talking yeah. about. That's so, called generational you know, curses. Yeah. So, you know, if you get the generational poverty, you know that they need that government dollar, uh, the government housing, food stamps, uh, Obama phone, you name it. And if government doesn't pay for everything, that means you have to think and act for yourself. But you take the lazy way out, you take the lazy way out and let them think and act for you. And if this is what Mm -hmm. they tell you to think. So if they, you think that Black Lives Matter is a good movement and not a terrorist movement, then, then you're, you've got the, the right uh, political correctness so you can get that government dime. But how dare you ever cross the line and think for yourself and try to raise yourself up and make yourself better? How dare you? No, 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 no. That's, that's when we attack you and we do the cancel culture, which is what I was speaking mm-hmm. about earlier. It all comes and, down and to the cancel culture. And it's hard where um, when you have your own 
And you know what? We are all Americans, and I don't differentiate with black, Puerto Ricans, Hispanics, or what have you not. But when, when people that you consider your friends call you an uncle Tom because you did something, you got better, you got out of the ghetto, you got out of the, the public housing, and now they think they keep telling you, are you all that? I said, no, do the same thing. Lift yourself up. This country is affording you, giving you opportunities to get ahead, and people, they just, they rather, like you said, they rather just get the money. And they know that as long as they keep voting those people in office, they're going to have their welfare check in their house every third day, third day of the month. Exactly. Or as my friend Lloyd Marcus, Lloyd, may you rest in peace, used to say he was an unhyphenated American. And God bless him. I like that. Unhyphenated yep. American. What a great man he was. Now, um, being an ordained minister, you are definitely pro-life. Now, you're elected to Congress, and the budget's coming up before you, and inside is a section for Planned Parenthood. What are you going to do? I'm going to fight to get it out. The, the, the biggest now, problem that we have in, in our government is that they take bundles of stuff and stuff it in there. I would love to have, if you're going to do a budget for this, then let it be for that. Not not putting all that pork, not putting all that crap that we don't need. Planned Parenthood has no business getting money from the government. If you want to have an abortion, come up with the money and and do whatever you want to do. But not from the government, though. And they, they tell you, no, because we do big things for the women. No, they don't. They don't protect the, the reproductive rights because that, that's an absurdity. They do abortions, and that is their business. Their business is abortion, and I will fight to get them out of the government money because if I believe that abortion is wrong, I should not spend a dime giving them money for them to do abortion. Now, would you then take those funds allotted to Planned Parenthood and then put them in other areas where there's grants or funding to help these women bring the child to term, whether it's for ador- abortion, not abortion, uh, adoption, or even for helping them to then raise the child on their own, to help them get to, to the point. Because I'm Listen. seeing a lot of these commercials coming up on TV, helping support these women and bring the child to full term, whether it is through adoption or helping them get a place to live, uh, a job and help them, you know, learn how to raise that child properly. I'm going to give you a story. This is a scenario. Before I married my wife, she had three kids, one, two, and four, one-year-old, two-year-old, four-year-old. She is Cuban. She went to school, got her nursing degree with three kids living out of welfare. The moment she finished school, she, gave, she went back to the welfare office and said, here, thank you very much. I'm done. I have a job. I'm all for that. If you are a, a young person who's raising a child and, and you want to and should take it to full term, but you want to get an education while you are um, having that baby, I'm all for that. And I'll help you. I'll help you go out there to do better for yourself, get an education, but then get out of the government money. Exactly. It should be a hand up, not a hand out. I'm, exactly. I'm liking what I'm hearing here, Curtis. I'm liking. Now, Curtis, you have a question for him that you typed in the chat room. Go ahead. Sergio, will you 
join up with the Freedom Caucus once you're there in um, Congress? Of course. Everything that All has right. to deal with freedom, everything that, that makes the government smaller, everything that is constitutional, I'm all for it. Nope. And um, I know you are. I just want the audience to know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've, got your, you've got your platform up on your website, uh, which is OrtizForCongress.com, so people can go over there and see all the things. Now, one of the things I'm going to ask you about, and uh, I'm really curious about this because I see a downside to something you support compared to what you're thinking, um, statehood for Puerto Rico. Are you pushing mm-hmm. for that? Because I'm looking at it because Puerto Rico leans heavily uh, liberal. Uh, that would then guarantee a Senate seat uh, Senate seats and congressional seats for the Democrats, and maybe tilt the power of government. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna dispel some of the rumors that people are having out there. Puerto Rico is a very very conservative uh, island. The problem is that they have been misguided. They have been misled. When they come here, we have to teach them about what it is that that the differences in parties. I guarantee you that having Puerto Rico as a state will give us, if we do it right, will give us two conservative senators and five conservative congressmen. But it's something that we have to start teaching them what it is to be a Republican and what it is to be a Democrat. Because right now in Puerto Rico, there might be three parties, but there's only one. And a lot of the people who are there, like right now the governor, that the governor is more liberal than it there. You know what? It, it, it gets me upset because if you want an uh, incubator for socialism, Puerto Rico is exactly what it is. But it's something that we have to go and teach the people what it is and how it is that they, they have to, how America really works. Yes, I want Puerto Rico to be a state because there's 600,000 American soldiers veterans who serve this country who doesn't have a voice for the president. They cannot vote for the president. They cannot vote for, for Congress because they're not a state. And once we make them a state and have them see the differences, that's when it's really going to shine. You see, now, my mom, I recently had to uh, bring her up because she was living in the Virgin Islands. So I know what you're talking about, that mindset that is down there. But there's also a lot of corruption in the governments down there, too, which keeps Democrats in power and keeps people thinking one way instead of the other way. Um, but there are a lot of conservatives down there in the territorial islands in the Caribbean, as well as, of course, the rest of the globe, like Guam. And I, I understand what you're saying, because for the longest time, she and my father did not vote for the president, did not vote for a senator or for a congressman to represent them uh, in government. And my father was a World War II veteran. So I understand what you're, you're coming from, but this is a long-haul road. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. This may even take generations to co- uh, accomplish. Am I looking at this correct right. or am I looking at this wrong? No, no, you, 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 you have the right picture for it. It's something that it doesn't happen overnight. That's why, that's why one of my biggest pet peeves is education. We have to change the way the education system works in this country and in Puerto Rico. The word says that teach a child the way that it should come, and he will not depart when he gets old. 
And the problem that we have now is the education system has been so indoctrinated with liberal ideas that we have to revamp it, we have to destroy it and start again. If we're going to change a nation, it starts with us. Because once I believe that one person can make a big difference in the world. Take a perfect example. I mean, the, the best of all is Jesus. One person took 12 disciples and then changed the world. Martin Luther King had an idea and a dream, and that's where we are today. We're getting closer and closer to that dream. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, one person changed a nation. So what we have to do is, is have the people learn and understand what it is to be an American, what it is that, that we, what we believe as far as what the Constitution tells us, and, and teach them. They will learn. They will hear. In Puerto Rico, the, the problem is the apathy. They, they're, so, they're so tired of having decades after decades telling them we're going to go do this and do that. And, and like, like Trump said, there, there's a lot of crooked politicians in Puerto Rico, and I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. But it's something that we have to get over there and start cleaning house. Uh, two weeks ago, they arrested two mayors for doing a lot of stuff that they were not supposed to. And I think that we need to have a strong oversight and start cleaning the house, and it starts with the people. Give them a choice, and they will make the right one. From your lips to God's ears, that, that, I, that I hope, that I pray. You know, uh, you mentioned education. We were talking about that when you came on on the show. And one of the things that I would love to see happen is abolishing fed ed. Bring the Thank dollars you. back down to the child. The money Thank should you. always follow the child, not the child follow the money. Exactly. You would work to abolish fed ed. Well, the, the biggest problem is, that, remember, this was Jimmy Carter gave us this. And when you have bureaucrats in, in Washington dictating what's going to happen, and the, these people are not elected officials, that they don't have... They don't have to respond to you. There's people who have been in the government for 20 years. They don't care. They have tenure. They, they, you can tell them whatever, but they're, not, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. We need to bring down the education system to the state. Let each state determine what they're going to have. And as far as having somebody that we can vote for to be the head of the education department, so that way they're accountable to somebody. That's one of the changes, and we're sending our money to the federal government to send back six cents on the dollar that we send for education. We know a lot better how to deal with the education system. We have a very good governor that knows how to take the most out of the money and get in the ideas, and the format from Washington is not helpful. One of the things that I, that I don't like about the system right now, and a lot of people spoke a lot of good things, is uh, uh, don't, leave, don't, let the child, uh, don't, don't let the child stay behind. Let me tell you something. There are some childs that deserve to be that stay behind and learn the lesson because we are passing students who don't have an idea. There's people going to college that don't know how to read. There's people going to college that don't know how, don't know how to do basic math. And that's something that we have to change. We have to take that out of the system and teach them properly and, and make people understand that if you don't want to put the effort to get ahead, you're not going to get a free pass. Yeah, the no child left behind, that was the brainchild of the Clinton administration. 
And that was that was one of the biggest mistakes they ever made because you dummied down the education system instead of raising the standard, raising the bar, and make kids achieve more. <clears throat> but they did the exact opposite. They had the exact opposite purpose. Uh, one of the other things you have on your website you talk about are taxes. And I'd love to see the IRS become abolished. Now, I prefer the fair tax. What do you see and how do you see in lowering taxes? Now, the fair, as long as we have Biden in the office, it's going to be a, a little bit more difficult. We had, a, when Trump was in office, we passed a, a, a more comprehensive tax. And I believe that taxes should always be lower and lower. I know it's a necessary evil because we still have to build roads, but we have to bring down the size of government. I wish we could get rid of the IRS. There's all the ways of, of generating funds for the government, and the IRS right now, it's a tool that they're using against the good people of this country. And one, if you take away the, the IRS, then we don't have that, that, that power of government to start getting into our system. Taxes has to be raised. And we were doing finance nation before IRS. So, and that was a lie that they told the American people. When they started doing the IRS, is we're going to tax the risk, the rich. So they started taxing the rich. But the rich had lawyers and people who can go and make uh, loopholes in the, in the codes. And who's the one who's paying taxes? Yes, the upper echelon are paying the vast majority of the taxes. But then the middle class, the upper middle class is getting hurt. And we're getting our, our companies who are building up and, and building this country. Some of them are from the middle class. Some of them are from the lower class. But if you have a way of having a fair tax where everybody pays the same, I was talking to my wife about the same thing, that we need to, to have, make a way where everybody, everybody carries the burden. And one of the things what? that I would love to do, one of the things that I love to do is everybody get paid if you work ten, uh, 40 hours a week at $10, you get a $400 check at the end of the, of the week. But then you have to pay back the government the taxes that you owe. If that well, happens, Sergio, a lot of people change their mind. Yep, yep. Sergio, well, right now I've got my guest, next guest lined up. People will find you for your – you're running for Congress for Florida District Number 9 at OrtizForCongress.com. we got to have you back, and God bless you, sir. Amen. Have a blessed day. Hey, you All right, take Sergio care, Ortiz. Sergio. Check it out, Sergio Ortiz, OrtizForCongress.com. And I, 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 I cannot resist this one, Curtis. You know it's going to come out of my mouth. I want to welcome onto the show Andrew Giuliani, who's running for governor out of the state of New York, my native state, even though I fled it. <laughs> welcome onto the show, Andrew <laughs> Giuliani. How are you doing? Well, it's wonderful to be with you, and you're not the only one who has fled. That's that's why we've run. That's why we decided to run for office because, unfortunately, right now Florida, as uh, Mr. Ortiz would say, uh, is certainly offering better options than New York. But that's why we got to make New York great again. All right. Now I got to tell you, you and I ran into each other. We had a little to do many, many years ago. Now, I don't know if Heather told you, but I am retired NYPD. I was a board officer with the Columbia Association. Now, thank you. I don't know if you thank can... you for your service, especially in light of this past week, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Officers Rivera and Mora, uh, thank you very much for for your service. Yeah, that I mean, 
I was with Eddie. Not, I wasn't with him, but I was in the same class as Eddie oh. Burns. Uh, oh. As a matter of fact, Patty Lynch was my PBA delegate before he now is the PBA president. Uh, he was out of the nine zero with us. Uh, but I was a board officer for the Columbia Association. Your dad was running for mayor the first time, and he brought you and your mother to the parade. Uh, you were inside the basement of the church, and your dad was talking to us. You were running between all the tables of the cops as they were eating their breakfast, listening to your dad speak, and you were smacking them on their backs and their heads. And the female cop that went up and yelled at you was me. <laughs> well, you know, I certainly deserved it. I think most of America <laughs> has probably seen uh, my antics. If not my antics, they've seen Chris Farley uh, impersonate my antics. And there was no doubt that I had a whole lot of energy. And, uh, you know, I tried <laughs> to at least direct that energy to going after the radical left these days and not um, not playing duck, duck, goose with cops on their heads. So. <laughs> Yeah, we were at, also at the uh, inauguration, watching you up on the stage of the inauguration. Uh, well, you're running for uh, governor out of New York, and the last time we had a good conservative governor was Pataki. And I actually yeah. I fled the state. I said that the moment they're going to swear Hillary Clinton in as a senator, we're out of here. And the weekend she was being sworn in, we moved down here. <laughs> True oh, story. Wow. Uh, but well, New York has some of the toughest gun control laws on the books and yet you've got the biggest amount of gun violence why because it's hard for a legal person to get a gun and the bad guys can always hit the street corner and pick one up what would you do to make it easier for someone to legally own it and take the illegal guns off well to your point there you know one of the you think of the many things that the fund the police movement is and now obviously we know it's Marxist. That's, that's, that's pretty obvious just looking at two of the three, really all three, but certainly two of the three founders of, of BLM. Uh, they've come out and said, we are radical Marxists, right? We are militant Marxists. Um, so this is out of their own mouth. But it's, of the many things that the defund the police movement is actually doing, one of the things that's making it really tough is to get illegal weapons off the streets. Because guess who does that? It's the, the plainclothes unit that was disbanded by de Blasio that I certainly hope Adams has said he's going to bring back. I certainly hope he's going to bring it back. Um, so for me, it's a matter of fully funding our police. And in terms of legal weapons, I think the SAFE Act, which was passed in New York a few years ago, I would work to repeal that. Um, and I work to repeal that within the first year uh, and the first 90 days of my administration, because I think you're absolutely right. It, it's a lot easier for criminals to be able to get guns, get illegal guns, uh, while it's tougher for the person who is going to go through the process and learn how to carry responsibly to get a weapon. It's, it's the exact opposite of how it should actually be. And I think in seeing the, you know, all of the gun crime that's been going on in New York over the last couple of years, right? I mean, you have the left that just specifically wants to point to guns and say, take more guns away. Now, their solution is to take legal guns away. That's not the actual solution that's going to save people. If anything, it's going to increase crime. What you need to do is you need to allow the NYPD, you need to allow your police all around the state, all around the country for that matter, to make sure that they can go out and proactively police so that way they can get the guns out of gang members' hands, which is where we're seeing so much of the actual crime. 
It's the people who's actually pulling the trigger more than it is even the weapon themselves. And we need to make sure that person who is pulling the trigger does not get an opportunity to pull that trigger. But they are detained, and they go into the correction system, yes, the correction system, uh, if they commit a lower offense beforehand. Um, I, I know I'm going on in a very long answer here, but there's, this is obviously really on my mind. One other thing that I would just say, uh, you know, if you look at the Manhattan District Attorney or, or many of these Soros-funded funded district attorneys who are choosing not to prosecute misdemeanors, uh, but, but not even just misdemeanors, right? They're looking at resisting arrest and armed robbery and saying, we're not going to prosecute that as a felony which means it becomes a misdemeanor, which now means it becomes a desk appearance ticket. That is the exact opposite of broken windows policing. And we know that broken windows policing not only works, but it actually was responsible for probably the greatest renaissance uh, in modern history in American cities, in New York in the 90s. And by the way, it was actually for a while used in L.A. and Chicago, and we saw crime go down. Then you ended up seeing radical DAs and radical mayors get in and say, you know what, we're actually not going to, we're going to pull, we're going to pull our cops back. And that's why we've seen crime go out of control in LA, in Chicago. And it's why, unfortunately, we're starting to see it in New York. Well, I remember the broken windows policy because I was there. <laughs> we, we were yeah. on the street doing that. I mean, if you saw someone littering, you went after them even for littering or jaywalking because the guy on the corner who was watching you was the drug dealer or the pimp looking to see, can I set mm-hmm. up shop here? So by doing mm-hmm. that, you actually deterred crime from occurring, even though it sounded like, oh, you're, you're wasting the cop's time for giving a jaywalking ticket. Actually, no, we were preventing crime because once they saw us out there proactive, they said, oh, no, I'm not going to chance this corner today. I'll go somewhere else. No. And then the next cop yep. on the next beat would chase them and chase them. And they said, well, I guess New York City is no longer the place for us. But now yeah. the opposite show, is happening. Show me the George Washington Bridge. I'm going to go to Jersey or somewhere else, right? <laughs> exactly. And now you mentioned the revolving door um, policies with the, with the crime you know, no bail and things like that. Uh, what would you do with rogue DAs? Do you have, as governor, the power to remove them from office? Because this is an elected uh, uh, position. Yep. For example, Letitia uh, James. So I have, and about three weeks ago, I ended up putting out a petition uh, to, uh, to introduce recall into uh, the New York State uh, Constitution. We don't have recall, but... What I have called on Kathy Hochul to, is I have called on Kathy Hochul to remove Alvin Bragg or any other district attorney around the state who will choose not to prosecute crime because I believe he has violated their oath of office. Not to bore you, but under the New York State Constitution, Article 8, Section 13B, it clearly states that the governor can remove a district attorney if they violate their oath of office. I think it's very clear in Alvin Bragg's memo that he sent to his assistant district attorneys that he has completely recategorized, reclassified categories of crime. That, to me, is very clear violation of his oath of office, and I would do it on day one. And I would urge your listeners to go uh, and look at change.org and put in recall Alvin Bragg. Uh, take a look at what we've said and, uh, and sign up, uh, because the, the, more, the more Americans all around the country that stand up right now for this, against these rogue DAs around the country, 
Um, I think in, in many ways it's very similar to the movement that we're seeing with school boards right now. Um, I think for a long time Americans didn't realize what was necessarily going on in the schools on the school board level and how they really worked in darkness. Um, and then all of a sudden the pandemic happened, people got a really good look at children's education, and they're saying, holy smokes, they're teaching my child at eight years old that they may not be a girl or may not be a boy, and you can, you know, you can now change your gender, and, and you can take these hormone blockers at, at nine years old. This is absolutely crazy. I'm running for school board, and I'm changing this. Well, I think now more and more Americans are looking and saying, holy smokes, this is not happening maybe even at the gubernatorial level, the presidential level, the mayoral level. Soros is focused on the DA level, and this is where we're seeing so much of the chaos in our cities. So any American that really takes a look at this uh, and wants to make a stand on a very local level, I would look at your local DA races. I would look into our petition or any other petitions that have been out there uh, to recall their DAs. But go to, go to change.org and, uh, and type in recall Alvin Bragg, or you can see it on my social media, uh, at Andrew H. Giuliani, and, and please sign the petition. Well, God bless that. I, I love to see that. Thankfully, I live in a highly, highly red state, and my local <laughs> sheriff, I, I saw him the other day, and it's like, hey, guys, NYPD, we're looking for, we've got 65 deputy empty slots down here. <laughs> They're willing to hire you. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you, you, you sound you sound just happy li- living in, in a place that actually will will prosecute their criminals, arrest and prosecute their criminals. Wow. You sound so happy. I mean, that, that's that's what New York can be. We can be that, but unfortunately, wow. we have uh, we have the wrong people running right now. Wow. Right, this, is, this is my co-host C.S. Bennett. Go ahead, Curtis. Yes, sir. Um, what do you say about those who feel that uh, it's the state? that um, should um, run your child's life, not the parent? Because I'm hearing a lot of that. Yeah. Well, well, Curtis, uh, nice to talk to you first off. I think it's beyond absurd. And to me, that's one of the things that I talk about everywhere I go, from small Hamilton County to Kings County in Brooklyn. Um, I think this is very simple. Uh, Parents need to be the primary stakeholders in their children's education and in their children's life. Uh, If the state does not believe that, um, then they don't know what's coming for them. And it's one of the reasons why we saw Virginia flip. Uh, It's one of the reasons why New York is going to flip in 2022. And it's also one of the reasons why, uh, in the most recent statewide polling, uh, even 26% of Democrats are, are voting for me because they look and they say, wait a second, the Democratic Party, I may have been a lifelong Democrat, but I, I really want to be the one that determines my child's education. So the solutions that we have for that are a couple of fold. Um, first off, we want to introduce more charter schools in New York. So New York State has a cap of 460 charter schools. Uh, that number, by the end of my first term, I have pledged will be over 1,000 charter schools. The cap will be over 1,000 charter schools by the end of my first term. And what that means is that allows children that have parents that, you know, may not have the means that my parents had, right? I was very blessed, and my parents had the means to send me to a parochial school, right? They, they could afford the, the, the extra thousands of dollars a year to be able to do that. It shouldn't just be for those kids that can only afford it. It should be for any kid that looks at their public school and says, you know what? 
they are not performing for me. I don't want this curriculum. I want another option. But secondly, what I would also do, and this is really introducing the free market into education and giving the maximum amount of choice in New York, I would introduce a tax voucher program. This has been done in other states. I understand working on this in Florida. I know in Kansas they've had great success on this uh, and, and in, in some other states as well. But what that would mean is New York has one of the highest property tax rates in the country. Almost oh, yeah. whichever county you look at, but certainly look at Westchester County. It might actually be the highest in the country. I would want those property tax dollars to be able to be tax vouchers so that way parents could take those dollars and take those dollars and spend them on a parochial school or even on homeschooling if they want to. So that way, if they're in their public school and they're teaching them diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is the new buzzword for critical race theory, parents can say, you know what, I'm taking them out and now I'm actually going to have the money to be able to send them to this. I'm not going to get double taxed on this stuff. So in terms of choice, I am all for the maximum amount of choice that parents can have in their children's education. Now, it sounds like you did your homework coming into this race. Holy cow, I wish we had half, half, half the candidates I interview have as much in-depth knowledge. When you can do chapter and verse, that's amazing. That is absolutely <laughs> Your dad must, be, must have schooled you. And I actually, I actually, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking up above my head on my desk, and there's a picture of your dad with Lieutenant and myself at the, a Columbia Association dinner dance. <laughs> oh wow! Your dad wow. smiling well, down on me. <laughs> well, well, I will admit this: uh, if uh, if if I want to lose votes, then then get me out there on the dance floor because I do not have dance moves. I may be able to recite chapter and verse of the New York State Constitution, uh, but dancing and singing were not gifts that God blessed me with. So. <laughs> Well, here, I'm going to hit you with a subject that is near and dear, because when I lived in New York, this is something that we actively worked for. And that was putting into place a law so that if a woman who was pregnant was attacked for whatever reason, and the baby was either harmed or lost, that would be a separate charge, because we looked at it as a separate life. Now, thanks unto Governor Cuomo, he signed in in 2019 this new abortion law. So even up until the point of delivery and even after, that child can be abandoned, aborted, whatever you want to call it. And that just breaks my heart. I mean, we worked so hard. So in one sweep of his head, he negated that law. Yeah. Uh, Look, I would even say, you know, killed, right? That's what ultimately they're doing. And when you see the... Empire State Building and Niagara Falls uh, light up on the night that that bill was signed, celebrating late-term abortions. I mean, that's what it was. They were celebrating celebrating abortions up until and through week 39, which is uh, it's really unconscionable conscionable when you think about it. Um, you know, I was just blessed two months ago. Tomorrow, I had my first child, a baby girl named Grace, oh. and I have to tell you, you know, looking. The first time that I saw the ultrasound of her, um, you know, the connection that I immediately felt to her, you know, you realize that that is that's a human life and that's part of you. So uh, to me, this is an issue that has um, certainly I felt strongly about, but now has become personal to me, as I think most parents will, will probably feel. Um, and it's certainly something that I would work to start repealing uh, on day one, because, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right. When you look at 
the work that was done uh, in the 90s to get that on the books and to have Cuomo just with a stroke of a pen and a radical legislature say, you know what, we're, uh, we're not going to consider separate charges for the child. Um, you know, it, it's, as I said before, unconscionable. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, there's so many subjects we can hit on, you know, since I was a New Yorker. Uh, and <laughs> we have a saying down here. We do have the favorite saying. The first thing my husband and I learned when we moved down here is we don't give a damn how you did it up north. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pleased to hear. I'm pleased to hear that New York is going to finally have someone that can put it back on on the right path. But a big problem up in New York is infrastructure. And when yeah. I'm talking about the infrastructure, I'm talking about the roads, the bridges, the rails. Uh, and New York is heavily dependent upon the railroad in many areas, especially Long mm-hmm. Island going into Manhattan. Um, how would you then start to rebuild this infrastructure that is crumbling around around your ears? Yeah. Well, well, first and foremost, and this is a little bit of a, a different answer, but I'll get into what you're talking about. First and foremost, we have to make the railroads and the subways safe again. Uh, and, and as you know, the MTA is a organization that's actually controlled by the governor, even though over 90%, I think over 95% of the lines uh, are actually in New York City. Uh, this goes back to Edward Moses and anybody who's interested in kind of real power of, of local politics. You can read the power broker and really get a good look into, into, uh, into Moses and, and what he was able to do. This goes back into Moses disagreeing with Mayor LaGuardia and so putting the MTA control and the extra board seats up in Albany with the governor because he controlled the governor. Um, I digress. But basically, the first thing we have to do is make the subway safe and we have to make uh, our railroad safe. You know, we just had a, a woman a couple of weeks ago, a, an Asian American New Yorker, who was pushed on the subway and killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, subway, uh, subway deaths went up, I think, 117% uh, last year. So that's the first thing, because you're going to lose, you're going to lose ridership, and if you lose ridership, you're going to lose uh, obviously money, and you do that, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's a snowball effect. Um, but we certainly do have a, a massive infrastructure problem here. I, I think you look at the Gateway Project, which is uh, you know, the Amtrak tunnel between New York and New Jersey. Uh, ever since Superstorm Standy, there have been some real issues with that tunnel, and, and that's a tunnel that could be compromised within the next 15 to 20 years. I remember studying that while working in the White House uh, a few years back and figuring out the solutions there. Um, but, look, I, I am all for good infrastructure uh, jobs that will also improve our city uh, and our state. Uh, the one thing I'm not for is wasting money on infrastructure, or I should say faux infrastructure. And that's what I would call uh, the Biden infrastructure bill that was passed. If you look at how much pork was in that, how much red tape was in that bill, I mean, it was basically a payoff to unions to go out and vote for Democrats in 2022 and in 2024. Uh, I'm all for infrastructure. I'm all for good jobs. New York does need it. You can see it with the roads. You can certainly see it at Penn Station. Uh, But I'm also for making sure that we are efficient in how we use our funds, because guess what? These are taxpayer dollars. I ultimately know who my bosses are, and those are the taxpayers. We need to make sure that we, we utilize those funds as efficient as possible and give them the best products at the best prices. Wow. You're almost going to make me move back to New York, but I'm sorry. I'm not shoveling <laughs> snow anymore. 
<laughs> Come on up in the summer. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I would believe me because I lived in Nassau County, uh, Suffolk County, worked in the city. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I know. I loved upstate. <laughs> and people don't realize how beautiful upstate really is. And one of the it things is. that really, really bothers me uh, growing up with my age, which is old, um, we used to have a lot of farms. And upstate New York was known for uh, dairy farms also. Uh, Would you do something to bring that back? I mean, Long Island has lost so many farms to these tract housing, but upstate still has plenty of of areas in which can be redeveloped and bring back that industry to New York. Well, it's a great question, and it's one of the things that I think a lot of people that live in New York City might not think about, but you're absolutely right. There are so many farms in New York at one point, I think we were the third largest ag producer of any state in the country. I think that number has dropped out of the top ten. So you know, your point is absolutely backed up by the data and the numbers. Uh, look, one of the things that I worked on when working with President Trump in the White House was his uh, deregulation agenda. Uh, people will remember in 2016, one of his campaign promises was for every regulation he'd sign into law, he would cut two. Now, politicians make a lot of campaign promises, and as we see with the current president, a lot of times they don't follow through or actually just completely lie. I can think of Biden saying there will be no mandates, and you can see what happens right now, especially up in a liberal state like New York. But President Trump actually followed through on that promise. By the time he walked out of office about a year ago, that number was over 8 to 1, and that's why we saw the economic success Uh, in the United States from a job perspective, uh, from a growth perspective. That's the kind of idea we need in New York, uh, not just for the farming uh, business, but also uh, for the financial business, for the real estate business, for the drivers here, for the the job creators. Because you have more and more job creators that are looking and saying, I'm moving down to Florida. I'm going to Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, because guess what? Taxes are a whole lot nicer and uh, or zero, right? Uh, and I'm not going to have this overregulation that's going to choke my business. So that's a long answer. That's a long way of saying uh, we need to make sure we look at farming regulations. And we cut farming regulations so it's not just, you know, the, the big farm that's, uh, that's going to survive on this stuff. It's also uh, the smaller family-owned farms that have, been, uh, that have been around for three or four generations that are struggling right now, and they are struggling. Um, you know, you have one bad season, and, and you can have 15 20% of farms go under. That's, that's how really they are hanging on by a thread. Um, and I think uh, easing the regulatory burden on them and reducing taxes uh, will certainly be two ways in which we can help the farm industry in New York. Well, you know what? We already have one person from Western New York. I think you got his vote right now in the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> See, you got one more. Uh, uh, well, we only well, have a couple, couple of minutes left before I go into my next guest. Uh, but a big thing going on in New York are the mask and vaccine mandates, as well as the lockdowns that close a lot of religious institutions. Um, would you then rescind what Governor Hochul has been doing and let New York breathe again? Absolutely. On day one, this is very, 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 very clear on this. Um, I think even looking at 
what the Supreme Court and the New York State's courts have ruled in the last 10 days, I think we have seen, as I've been saying and, and others around the country have been saying for months, the science does not back up the mask mandate. And we're seeing it now. Even Johns Hopkins is coming out with a study that cloth masks make no difference, and the N95s make like a 3 to 4% difference. Um, but then you think about in schools how children learn, right? 90% of communication is nonverbal. To take away half of their face, um, we don't really even understand yet the type, the type of developmental disabilities that this is going to create in our youngest generation right now. Um, so it is beyond absurd. Regarding the vaccine mandate and mask mandate, uh, that would go right in the trash on day one, along with bail reform. Um, and I'll just say one thing for our friend in western New York there, which I think he's going to like. I don't know if I actually have the power to do this, so this might be my, my one instance of a politician making a promise that I may not be able to keep, but I'm going to look into it. We're going to make sure that we look at the NFL overtime rules and make sure both teams get the ball, because what happened with the Bills and Chiefs the other day, one of the greatest <laughs> football games of all time, to not get the ball back, Josh Allen would have taken the ball down, scored, and got a two-point conversion and won the game. Now, now I'll be honest. I'm, I'm an honest politician, if that even does exist, but I try to be an honest guy. I'm a New York Giants fan. My team does play in New Jersey, and between the Giants and the Jets, we could not get enough wins to get in the playoffs combined this year. Uh, but with that being said, I was pulling for the Bulls and uh, Bills, and, and I was disappointed uh, that, that Josh Allen did get an opportunity to take the ball back down the field. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Your website is uh, com. But uh, before you go, I just want to mention that on your website, you also have uh, three propositions, Proposition 1, 3, and 4, which you're encouraging people to vote no on. One is about redistricting, and the other two concerns how you register to vote and, and to vote. So you're urging everyone on Prop 1, 3, and 4 this November to vote no. Well, I'll actually give you an update because uh, we probably should update and make it a little clearer on the website. But actually, that was for November of 2021. And uh, thankfully, uh, you know, the push has been successful. Props 1, 3, and 4 have been defeated. Um, so I urge anybody to go on to our website, nyforgiuliani.com. That's N-Y-F-O-R-G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I. And take a little better look at it. Sign up to, to volunteer or donate if, if you're interested. Um, but the good news is we were able to defeat those props. And what that was going to do in New York, uh, that was going to make it far easier for, um, for basically the election to be stolen. That's, that's really it's, it's as simple as that. Um, right now in New York State, don't have to show identification uh, to get your ballot. But you need to show identification in order to go sit down and have a cheeseburger. Um, how hypocritical is that? Uh, so for us, it's very simple. Uh, I would work immediately when in office to make sure that we, I don't want to say mandate, because mandate is a bad word, but that we make sure that voter identification is required in order to get your ballot. Uh, I think this is a very, very simple solution. Um, we need to make sure our elections are full of integrity. And, you know, I had the opportunity, as I said, to work for President Trump in the White House. I read through over 200 
of the over 1,000 affidavits that came in after the 2020 election of Americans claiming fraud. And I have to tell you, we can never, ever go through another situation like the 2020 election. Um, and, uh, and we need to make sure it starts on the state level. And that's why in New York, I will push for the maximum amount of election integrity. Well, God bless right. you, Andrew. Definitely have to get you back on, that is for sure, because I've interviewed some people that you know, such as Judge Jeanine Pirro, uh, Pastor Paula oh, White King, uh, and, and, yep. and I can go on and on. Uh, Peter Navarro just recently was on. Oh, I love so you, are, you have to come back on. There is a link to your campaign site on the show page, so when people listen to it in the archives, they can click on it and get involved. God bless you, and you have to come back. That's very simple. Count me in. I look forward to it. And then, but if I'm going to come back on the radio show, you know, you got to come back to New York. I mean, if I'm coming back, you got to come back. You know, at least come back for, for a visit. few more visits. Put another visit in there. You know. I'll, yeah. I'll think about that. <laughs> well, Good luck. Take Thank care. you for having me. All right. right. Andrew Giuliani, check him out. NewYorkForGiuliani.com. There's a link on the show page. We've got our next victim up in the batting box. Sorry to make him keep waiting, but Calvin Wimbash, who is running for Congress out of Florida District Number 10. Good afternoon, Calvin. How are you today? Good afternoon, and it's Calvin Wimbish for all the great listeners. That B-I-S-H gets everyone, but that's okay. I spelled correctly. Yes, trust me, it's spelled W-I-M. correctly. Just my teeth don't work right. Oh, okay. <laughs> my teeth don't work. Well, it's great. Don't worry. Well, it's about nice it. to God have you, you So do I. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, CS, and it's uh, always an honor to come back. Your podcast is reaching thousands and millions of people, I believe, because a lot of my friends who are still deployed around the world are telling me they're dialing in, and I hope they're listening right now. If you yeah. are, you can also. Tag along on my votecal2022.org. Um, I'm very happy that um, America's first and God called me to uh, run this uh, opportunity to help uh, get our moral compass back on America because we've lost it. And the word of God is somehow lost in the equation, and that's not right. And as you know, CS and others, that I swore to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States in uniform for over a total of 33 years between the active guard and reserve, a couple of deployments to Iraq and then Afghanistan. And I'm not about to let America fall flat on its face uh, with this trend towards a world that a young student at uh, one of the universities down here expressed to me. He was from the country of Venezuela. And you should see the, the welting in his eyes and the sadness that his country has fallen. And he said, I do not want America to do and go where we've been. So I am now charged even more by the young, as well as those of us who've been along a journey of life, to make this a winning opportunity for America to get a Green Beret like me in Congress. Man, you started an opening before before I can even ask the first question. (laughs) You got it. I had to make sure that you're ready, set to go, because I am ready, set to go. I'm on fire for the Lord. Well, yeah, your people, when you, when you say that you took an oath, people don't understand what that means. Because uh, I swore an oath when I got sworn in as a law enforcement officer. And you and I swore a very similar oath to very defend yes, and uphold the Constitution. And then I went further to defend and hold the Constitution of the state of New York and the city of New York. But you defend and 
uphold the Constitution of the United States. And all of a sudden now the left says, oh, they're an oath keeper. They're racist. They're bigots. They're this. They're that. They're evil. They're <laughs> terrorists. They're anarchists. They're, they, name, they throw everything at the book with, to, at you. But they don't understand what that oath means. That when I say I'm going to defend and uphold the Constitution, that means you have the right to say any stupid bleepity bleep thing you want, and I will defend that right. <laughs> but that means yeah. also yeah. equally I have the same right to say any stupid bleepity bleep thing either. Also, we have an equal right, which means we should have a dialogue, not a fight. Amen. You hit the keyword dialogue, and every time I've attempted to have a dialogue with people, uh, of doesn't matter. And I, I always have believed that beauty is only skin deep, ugliness is to the bone, where it's not the con- color of your skin, it's the content of character. And coming from a family that, uh, you know, my mom and dad are from Danville, Virginia, and when the current leader of our nation said they're going to keep you all in chains a few years ago, that really got to my, got under my skin. Uh, slavery was uh, ended, as we all know. Frederick Douglass, which I, if you see on my website, I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican, and America's first. And I, you know, I believe in God, and as He's been my witness and and under fire and serving around the world and in combat, you know, if He can protect me there, I'm sure He's going to protect me here. So I'm I'm really putting on the armor of God again to answer the call. And I don't have to do this, but I, it's the right thing to do because we can be, as uh, Republicans, conservatives, remember this is a republic we live in, we live in, but we can't continue to be the silent, quote, majority, unquote. We have to be boisterous but not terroristic in our efforts to let the world know this country, this Judeo-Christian country was founded for a greater purpose than any other country in the history of the world, and people migrate here by the millions. Some came um, against their own will. We know the history, but at the same token, now that those who came here against their own will were released after Frederick Douglass, a Republican, worked with Abraham Lincoln, and to all my listeners who don't remember, he was a Republican who caused thousands of blacks to join the Union forces, and I love history to help those who were enslaved who couldn't get off the plantation or had to run and try not to get killed to be released. And once that happened, the inalienable rights as Americans were theirs. And when I looked in the annals of history about blacks who became politicians immediately after, after the war, there were, I believe, 20 that, yeah, it was 20 from 1870 to I think it was 1897, uh, black U.S. House of Representatives, all of which were Republicans. Now, help me understand why that's not communicated to our population, people of color, when they think we never had anything to rise up above our circumstances after the war. And I look at you know, Booker T. Washington, what he did beyond that. And he said the most profound and wonderful thing that some people have heard me speak to, and I will continue to do so, that when a lie becomes the truth and right becomes wrong and evil becomes good just because it's accepted by the masses, we have a problem. And that's what I think we're running right into right now is another roadblock to end divisiveness that was in the slavery days of our country 
and we're returning to a point where our nation will be enslaved, just like the young man from Venezuela said, it's happened to his country. Ask Cuba, North Korea, all the other countries where we know this is happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And Venezuela was once one of the most proper, prosperous and beautiful yes. nations in the world. Oh, man. And I was fortunate enough to be in Venezuela when it was free. What it is today, uh, even Colombia and mm. it, what South America has become, what Central America has become is, is just pure shame. But um, it's a shame. why don't I go back? You were, you were saying history now here in South Carolina, the most famous, you know, elected Republican black politician was Robert K. Smalls during the Reconstruction. Mm. So, right. I mean, he was the one that actually commandeered a Confederate vessel, freed the slaves on it, and brought it over to the Union lines, and then proceeded to pilot the captain Union vessels against the Confederacy before he became elected to Congress. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of history that is not yep. not being taught, which brings us into and now the, mm-hmm. in the indoctrination of our youth through Black Lives Matter curriculum, the 19... Uh, but the, sorry, the 1612 Project, um, right. the LBGTQ indoctrination. In Congress, would you work to pass laws to prevent education being influenced by doctrination and to stick with the basic ABCs? You, you know, you're nailing the nail on my head. You must have went to my website <laughs> because as a former teacher myself, I, I taught uh, high school JROTC at two different colleges, and uh, while I was in combat, I pursued my master's in teacher leadership and education because I sensed that there was still a lot missing, missing in the public uh, school system, as we all know today. And they're, they're starting to, uh, to narrow it down or make it so it down, that's the word I'm really looking for, to the point that you're not learning good common sense knowledge. You're just getting enough to get by. And we're wondering why young people, when they leave high school, they're actually coming out with the mindset and expectations of someone who still just got barely through middle school. They're not learning the ABCs, one, two, threes, going beyond the, the basic math or arithmetic into the higher level of, of um, science and, and, and uh, education, not learning the kind of history that they will know how to prevent repeating the failures of the past or saying things that are not true because their knowledge is limited. Yes, I will go to Congress to be a defender of the, teaching the right things right in the classroom and not hide the truth or try to change how it's being portrayed with all these different ways of going back to 1612 and, and going back to not going back to the basic history. We know all the conditions. And I asked, uh, I was in a, with a group of people of color the other day at doing a Martin Luther King, and I got this, this talking about, well, we're upset that we came here as slaves as a people. And we know the millions of people that came to America on slave ships. But can we also understand how did they get to the shores in the Ivory Coast and Nigeria and other countries, Sierra Leone, and how did they get there? Oh, wait a minute. Was there tribal upon tribal? Let's talk about power upon power. Let's fast forward back to Venezuela where those who had the power would take and enslave their own people. Wait a minute. That also happened in China that happened in, in the Europe, that happened all over Asia and other countries. 
So, and even in America, Indian, American Indian, which I'm proud to say I've got some of that blood in my life. We all have seen that and all the way back to biblical times. So our own people created an avenue for those who want to enslave us as citizens or people and uh, property in America. But once we got here, how blessed we were that at some point the chains were broken and enslavement was deemed not legal. When the Congress and the just like today with Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer, they controlled the Congress and the Supreme Court back in, in that time, 72 decision, hey, we're going to keep these people where they are. Well, not on Abraham Lincoln's and, and Frederick Douglass' watch. So there's a lot of history that has been miscommunicated, not put in the books. You and I know a lot of what I said is not even in the books. That when I was going to school, when we had libraries, we didn't have computers. You had to go dig for it. And Dr. Benjamin Quarrel, who was my, I was blessed to have him as my college professor at Morgan State College, one of the original 100 black universities. It was a college back then, who taught me that history. He wrote The Negro and the Making of America. And he wrote several other books to include uh, this book about Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and the relationship that caused many of us of color said we got to help our own people, and we did. And now you fast forward today, and everybody said, well, that's old history. Well, wait a minute. Why do you have turncoats when I'm in debate with several people? I know Alveda King is talking about Dr. Martin Luther King, and then even in that whole community, they don't want to admit that he was more Republican than if, he's, if they don't want to show the documentation, whether he was registered or filed. But look at what he was trying to do. But yet we want to keep that enslavement mentality. I can't take that because I am not a slave anymore. I may be a descendant of one. All of us have to, to learn from the past, but we need to step up and live in the present to prepare our next generation for the future. So I will vote, vote strongly to change any laws that are preventing us from keeping these CRT, critical race theories, out of our public schools. And if the schools are failing, let that money follow that child to a school or some form of education, even if it's virtual, where they can achieve good success and preparedness to be an adult and have balanced knowledge. Man, how is Democrats going to get a vote if they're not a victim? Unless they create the victims, how are they going to get their votes, though? So, you know, yeah, hey, that great-grandpa was a slave, blah, 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 and now you owe me. Excuse me. I don't know your great-great-grandpa. Uh, my family wasn't here, and I don't owe you diddly squat. But that doesn't go over. The second I say something like that, oh, you're a racist. So how are they going to get their votes? Yes. <laughs> well, they won't get them from the people who are uh, situationally aware if they understand or seek to understand the, the full history. I mean, we can have pieces of history thrown at us as it has been parsed down to, well, a lot of people of their own, don't know, know their own culture. Sometimes it takes the grandma or the grandpa who can sit them down and tell them about it if you're blessed to have them alive. Um, I never knew my grandparents because my parents, uh, parents died when they were young. But the wisdom that came with time and understanding that we can rise above our circumstances, and the key word for me has been choice. You can choose to do right and do the right things the first time to get the kind of outcomes that helps you get better and have other people see that and open portals and doors of opportunity. Or you can choose to do 
wrong, and either way, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your decisions and your actions. And if you know, as a definition of stupid is, knowing before you do it and do it anyway, and you go to jail, why are you going to blame society? Why don't you blame that person reflects in the mirror every morning or every night? When you wash your face, comb your hair, or brush your teeth, who's doing that? You. Who chooses to get a supersize me at Burger King and you're obese and you're out of shape? Well, we all love to eat, but there's a point of diminishing returns on everything we do. And I believe that that mindset needs to be rekindled in the minds of all Americans. Because, again, I'm going to say it, America first. I'm American, yeah. happen to be a man of color, though I'm mixed in blood, that doesn't matter. Because in heaven, we're created in his image, not in his color. And he's not going to separate us in heaven. And blacks on this side, half blacks over here, whites over here, oriental over here. Come on, give me a break. Colonel, <laughs> how has... And I'm uh, not a preacher, but I did say at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to say that to, to, to let people realize we can do this yeah. as a team. This is a team effort yeah. for our to save our nation. Yeah. How has the uh, military um, being taught to be a leader? How has that prepared you to be a leader up in the Beltway? Outstanding question, and one of the things I did learn. It taught me how the old phrase we used to say when I was a young lieutenant back in the 70s, be, know, and do. You can be all you choose to be by the guidelines which you are given. You have to be a man of, or woman of integrity, and that means doing what's expected of you when others not watching. If you try to have a sleight of hand, you're only fooling yourself. Because if you do believe in a, someone greater than you and I, a God we've never seen and we say we love him, but yet we face our brothers every day and we say we hate them because they have more money when they started or they didn't have it, they had a better home, other person of color, whatever the excuses continue to be thrown at people in society. We need to wake up. We need to wake up as a people. The military taught us that there's only one color. And then when you talk about whether it's the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, and now the, the Space Command, it's not the, so much, I use the term in the Army, OD green, okay, it's gone camouflage, everybody's got it. But bullets don't discriminate in combat, and they taught you how you have to look out for your brother and sister. And uh, there's a few places left in the world where they make sure that every young man and woman realizes what it is to have to, and sometimes maybe against their own desires, go into harm's way. And the military taught me not only integrity, honor, selfless service, respect, loyalty, but looking at my, to my left and right, and God forbid if I got hit or wounded, I can look to my brother who has the same blood type, and I don't care what color it is, hey, save my life if you can with that blood. And we looked out for one another. And we ate and we, we went out and, and did the things that soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines do. We were comrades because we teamwork. were doing it for America. Teamwork. All, amen. And if you can't think as a team, you know, even amongst my campaign team, I tell them every day, this is about the mission, the team mission, not about an individual. And we all have to step up to the plate, always seek to do the right things right. If you're wrong, admit it, move on. Uh, too many people hold grudges in society. Families do it. 
you know, we're all guilty of it. Okay. But once you understand what the path to success is, move on. As a young man who I know has a beautiful program, and, and one of the words that uh, he mentioned, uh, actually, uh, uh, well, I won't mention his name at this point, but he used the word success versus success. Because sometimes you can be successful, S-U-C-K, as opposed to successful, S-U-C, because you got too much rose color, too much of a rose color lens that prevents you from getting away from that person reflecting the mirror and realize that it's not about me. It's about the, the mission or the goal or, or the vision that you're trying to achieve. And it takes us to partner and team up. And teamwork is what got us through everything in, in the military. So, yes, you're a very strong historian. I, I love the fact that you, you still write books about some of those fallen heroes. There's many of us black Americans, and a lot of young people don't know about it. How many Medal of Honor recipients have we had that are of color? Usually in Black of History Month, uh, in the month of February, just coming up as a teacher, I challenge my students to write a 500-word essay and dig back as far as they can in history and, and be able to present those men of color who were recipients. And some didn't go any further back than World War II or World War I, but I had a few studious students that kept digging, and they had to do a lot of research, not just on the Google or whatever website. They had to dig, and they came up with, oh, my God, Civil War. Two of them. Yeah. Two, yeah, Civil yeah, War, man. two of them. And two of them, uh, Sergeant Green that carried the flag over the river, and I forget the, the other name of the other. And there was always a controversy because one, their action was before the other, but the award was after. So there was always a question of yeah. actually who, who officially got – got it first uh the medal of honor was it one because his action came first or the other one whose medal was awarded first i don't think that's ever been said yes it hasn't been uh, clarified yet and these are things that should have been done but who's in power unfortunately i love i love my country i love my I, i like the military but i think there's a softness that's occurred at the echelons above my pay grade that is not allowing soldiers to be soldiers, sailors to be sailors, Marines to be Marines, because we're getting so caught up being politically correct. I, God help yeah, me, but so I, I love America. We got to let we're, we're, we stepped up to focus on how we can prevent the tyranny, Marxism, communism, totalitarianism, socialism, whatever color you want to call it from ever becoming part of this nation. And when they try to change the Constitution, when they're trying to make amendments, when they're trying to pack or stack the court, the Supreme Court, with judges that will do exactly what happened that led to the Civil War, we're repeating the errors of the past, and we got to wake up. Well, you know, we're down to about five more minutes with you before our next guest calls in. There's so much more to speak with you about. Um, but we, I wanted to discuss the southern border, but as well as the foreign policy that this administration has put in place, you know, the debacle that happened in Afghanistan that opened up the entire caliphate to China. Uh, I mean, we can, we can go on and on and on. What's going on in the Ukraine and as I'm watching the news last night, you know, plane loads of our soldiers are being sent over and 
no one is saying anything about that. Uh, Meanwhile, we've got plane loads of illegal immigrants being brought from the border within hours of arriving here in the United States and then scattered throughout all 50 states. But no one's talking about our our domestic security and our foreign security. Well, I I just would maybe correct you because you and I are talking about it. And there are others, too. And there are some networks because they're overshadowed by the, I call it the the power five, who can continue to do what Booker T. Washington talked about, repeating the lie to tell people believe the lie is the truth. It's not being spoken enough and talked about loud enough. And I'm really asking every person who loves America, who loves the republic, who is conservative and realize the values that we have, must speak up, stand up, write in, talk to your congressmen, your senators, uh, call them on their phones, go down to your school board. You need to speak up. Mothers and fathers are not domestic terrorists. And what we're doing around the world, uh, supporting bears and yet borders of other countries, and they had the nerve to say, well, those are sovereign borders, you know, we're going to support Ukraine. But yet you pulled out of Afghanistan backwards in terms of any strategies that made any sense that I've ever learned, where you never take your combatants out first before you get your non-combatants out. You get all of those documents out. You get all your equipment out, destroyed in place, but leave 85 billion plus sitting there, and they're being trained, and they're reverse engineering all of that to come against us at some point in time. We have to maybe go back in. Something's wrong with that picture. And when I saw those young Afghan commandos, which I was fortunate to work with, when I was in Afghanistan, and I have a coin that I have in my hand right now from the commandos that they gave me of Afghanistan, and see them get murdered, and then several weeks later to see our 13 young men and women get killed at Kabul, and that was enough to enough. That was the second trigger uh, that got me going that I had to get in. As far as our national security, I mean, we we got to do better, close our borders. We got to work and go about the economy. Let's get that back on track. We need to rekindle the flame of business and let's help our business, help our veterans. For example, as we all know, no, I'm a vet, <laughs> but you know, they're not being given the health care they needed. The elderly. God I want people to die because God is calling them home, not because somebody thinks, well they're elderly, let them die. And the unborn children are not getting going on. And uh, this this uh, legal dumping of people and they put them on a plane, drop them in and if people would still go back and, and you can research it, it's out there. Several policemen and others have been videotaped talking to these planes where the police was on the tarmac and said, why are you guys here? And they said, we're not supposed to show out our badges. We, are, we can't talk about it. Give me a break. Yes. And we when the pilot says, illegals. when the pilot says that your government is betraying you, that, that no. spoke volumes. That should get bought out. We need to print it and sing it and say it on every network. Ought to be honest and push that. We got to wake up. That we definitely have to wake up. <clears throat> like I said, there's so much more to talk about because yes, right yes. now they're they're going into negotiations again with Iran to start bringing back the uh, the fuel for oh. nukes. Uh, North Korea is is rattling the saber. You got China threatening to invade Taiwan flying planes overboard. Meanwhile, we've opened up and we find out now that Hunter Biden negotiated a sale to China of the largest cobalt mine. And we need the cobalt mine for chips and batteries. So that mine is now owned by China. We opened the door to China 
to Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Tajikistan, Pakistan, where you have the largest deposits of rare earth minerals that we need for what? For all our electronic devices, our electronic cars and batteries and chips. So why not just hand our entire economy over to China? (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that what Mr. McConnell has been doing all these years, too? <laughs> you, you, you know, you make me smile because at one point when you talk about we have to go full electric and get rid of all the fossil fuels and other forms of energy, you're setting us up for that big crash on, on the electromagnetic pulse. When it happens and everybody's power goes out, especially all of us in this oh, nation who are about to feel the cold, unite and it's the going power to get down grid. to 20 here on the weekend. Yeah. And to, to oh, they um, want to, you, Andrew Gi- oh. Giuliani, I, I respect him, but I'm not coming to New York this time of the year. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I, I can't deal with the snow. I can't deal with the snow. But, yeah, this is the other thing. They want to unite the power grid. How stupid is that? Just one weapon can take out the entire nation. And how many millions of people will die because they don't have electricity, either from overheat or for freezing cold or for medical equipment, uh, for medications that have to be kept cold? You know, if we lose our power grid, we lose the nation. May as well we just lose. surrender we at that point. Not only you left one point out, the generators, money. they won't have no oil. No gas to run right. their generators if they get rid of it. Well, and look at California. Uh, my friends out there are telling me it's seven, six and a half, seven dollars for regular gas now, and it's already up to jumped up twenty cents here down in Florida just this week, um, overnight. So we're going to uh, price people out of the ability to pay for their oil and their gas in the cold states where they need to stay warm. We're going to price people out of being able to drive their vehicles, and they'll be forced to mass transit. And then it's going to be a point where they're going to say, okay, well, you really need the government. And then we'll be walking around like robots, just like in North Korea and other places where they succumb to socialism. We need to learn the lessons of the past, not to repeat it in the present or the future. Exactly, exactly. Because run for the hills the second you hear the word sustainability. Sustainability. If you hear that, run for the hills, because that's when they're going to corral you into the urban centers. You no longer are able to drive your own vehicle. You're no longer to hop a plane. You can't go anywhere without the government assisting you to getting from point A to B. And where you work will be where you live, as close as possible to where you live, so they can still control your your movements. So this is what they want to say for them. I like to say for my folks here in Orange County, Florida, we're no different than the rest of the nation that needs to have communications and, and becomes consolidated in our total effort to win the day every day. We need to realize that, you know, even with the budget that we have here in Orange County, we have to know how, when, and where to place priority on the dollars that each of us who contribute, whether it's with property taxes or with the sales tax, and we thank all the tourists that come in here. At the end of the day, we need great great leaders at all echelons, city, county, state, and then all the way up to the federal level to do the right things right. I mean, with over, uh, the, like in 2019, 2020, the budget was over nearly $5 billion, and it's going to go up even higher in terms of proposed budget. We have to have a way to keep that in control. God bless the, the mayors and, the, uh, and around the country who are doing the best, but 
when your governor gives you some guidance that's going to help you help yourself and you go and defy that, you're setting yourselves up for failing your people. I am not going to be one of them that's going to fail my, my people. I'm going to be for the people and of the people because it's by the people that I'll be elected. And we need to understand that and live by it and look yourselves in the mirror, ladies and gentlemen of the world and of, of Orange County and the nation and realize you can make a difference every day by doing the right things right and doing the right the first time. I want everybody to really go to my website, votecal2022.org. Know, know that this is serious business, and I, I'm not a politician. I'm just a, an American who wants to do the right things right for the republic. And if we all join together, we can return us to a, maybe not return, but move us to a greater level of success as one nation united under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Well, we're waiting for our next guest to call in, so we've got more time with you to go into some other okay, stuff. Okay, no uh, problem. Because yeah. your, your website has your mission statement as well as, you know, your opinion on various things. And there's a big push. Again, we're seeing this because we've got a, a rise in gun violence across the nation. And that's because mm-hmm. we've got the George Soros-elected DAs refusing to prosecute, or if they do prosecute, they lower the charges into like a misdemeanor or a violation. Um, but yet, yet, because we have the increased gun violence, they will go after tighter gun control laws rather than going mm. after tighter illegal gun control laws. Uh, you know, get the illegal yeah. guns off the street and make it easier for legal guns so we can defend ourselves. So now they've come up with this new thing. There's an ATF form, and I may get the form incorrect. I've filled it out many times, uh, 4473, that you fill out when you go to mm-hmm. a gun dealer or when you make a purchase. Now, the gun dealer is the only one that has the information. The stats go to the federal government. And of course, it has to go through the FBI, but they cannot keep it by law. Now they're trying to push right. regulations to say that they can keep these now and have the AT, have the gun dealers, should they close or after a certain time period, send the forms into the government, which is going to be another way to have a gun registry. So right. how would and you fight that? And then they'll come and knock down the door. I would fight that to the hilt. I believe in constitutional carry because the Constitution gives us the right to defend our homeland and our, and our property and our families. And I'm not going to modify that right. If you're a legal citizen, you haven't broken the law. You have a right to bear arms for them to know how many I got and where they are so they can come and seize them at will. And uh, the documentation is sort of like your medical history. Now when they started the electronic medical filing, oh, your stuff will be protected forever. Wrong answer. Because now things are getting out. People are scamming. They are able to hack into medical hospitals and, and listings and shut them down at a ransom. Uh, we know ransom hacking is all over the world, and it doesn't have to be, have to be just in America. It's that people are doing it from other parts of the world, from China, from Russia, you name it. So I, I think that uh, we, we can't lose focus on the right to say, as Americans, we need to stand up. And I believe in Florida, like I believe governors is trying to get uh, it passed, that we do have the right for constitutional uh, carry. And that um, we all need to know that if when you enter into my home, uh, you enter at your own risk because I need to ensure that my wife my, and my family and friends 
that are in my home are not going to be subjected to, give me your money or I'm going to kill you, or give me my money I'm going to rob you. And we're, first of all, it's going back to the word stupid. Stupid is that you know robbing, stealing is wrong, but yet you're going to do it anyway. So the consequences of your actions, if the police get you, great, put you in jail, and I hope the judges and the, and the prosecutors stop allowing this turn uh, the revolving door as opposed to where you have, like in the, in the jails where you go into some place of security, you have a turnstile, you have to have a passcode to get in and out. And we don't need that just endless turning uh, effort to let criminals who go and know they broke the law, but they laugh at us because they pay a, a low, if sometimes none, uh, fine, and they get a bail, and they walk the streets the very next day to assault someone, rob someone, or get revenge because you caught them in the act. And we're not stopping the mental illness that is causing a lot of the problem because we no longer have the institutions that used to help us get people off the street and get them the medical and social welfare help so they can get their heads back in gear with their, their body that is in trouble, shooting drugs, and you can go on and on. And the drug dealers and the drug manufacturers in China is laughing at us every day because they bring in millions of dollars against these illegals that are coming in, and many of them are carrying the drugs. And now our Border Patrol people are trying to cap, uh, apprehend them on one point. They're smuggling tons of drugs through, and they're getting away and getting the cars and trucks. And It's all over our country because they know sometimes humans are suckers for what they know is wrong, but it makes them feel good. Wrong answer. No, absolutely not. Uh, one of the other things I was going to say about the uh, the gun laws, there's something that happened. It started with the veterans when the VA hospitals – a number of years ago, they like, mm. couldn't handle the vets enough. But when they did, they would start to take the guns away from the vets. They always do this. They did this yes. in Nazi Germany first. They took the guns away from the veterans, yes. and then they went after the civilians. And we watched it happen with the veterans with what they now call red flag laws. So if you were on a medication yeah. for any sort of, a, say, for example, Paxil to help keep you calm, uh-oh, you can't handle a firearm. Uh, if you pay your bills through bill pay, so you don't have to think about paying the bills every month, it comes in naturally. Uh-uh, you can't, you're not responsible for your finances, you can't own a gun. So now they've come up with the, all these red flag laws across the nation, and for any and every excuse possible, they're looking for a way to take our guns from us. It's already happening in Hawaii. The state of Hawaii is saying, well, if you're having any sort of a medication for a mental illness, you've got to turn your guns in. This is, that some, is something wrong. that we've got. Totally. We did, did he just drop off? No, no, no. I'm still here. You said I was saying. Yes. I was agreeing with you. It's totally wrong that that's happening. And there. And again, when you when you look at everything that has been documented over the years, when you look at some of the people who have been proponents of organizations, you know, like Black Lives Matter, and how they say one thing, you see the shiny object, but you look beyond that and you find out what they're really all about. KKK for years had their little shiny object and kept people coming at them until you found out the truth behind and who was behind it. The deep state does exist. We all recognize that. Let's just admit it. How deep it goes only God knows at this point, and those who have the key that can unlock the truth, uh, they need to be identified and removed from power. 
And as long as people are greedy for power and there's money to support that greed for power, it's going to be a, a tough road. It's a tough hill. I, it is. As it a is, soldier and as a Green Beret, I'm ready to climb that hill and go into harm's way. I was once asked when I went, through, went away for two years to Iraq and immediately right on to Afghanistan, why would you let the government recall you out of retirement? I said, if not me, then who? If not now, then well, when? When your house is on fire, who are you going to call them? Ghostbusters? You want people <laughs> to step up to the plate. Well, and that's Cal, what we need to people, do in the foreign America. Well, people can find you at votecal2022.org. Thank you. You're running for Florida District Number 10 in Congress. Calvin, got to have you back on. And, yeah. oh, Curtis, we just lost Kathy. Thank you. Oh, man. Uh, hopefully she'll, she'll pull back. All right, Calvin, God bless you, and good luck. And like right. I said, and, have to have and, you back on. Thank you so much, you all. God bless. Take care. All right. All right. We'll be thank in you. touch. Yes, all right. Calvin yeah, Wimbish. She was, uh, she was driving. This oh, may okay. be her. I I don't numbers doesn't check. look the same. Number does not look the same. But anyway, uh great guests we're having today and I'm glad everyone is enjoying it. Um ho- hopefully she'll be back on coming back in. Um all right. While Curtis is trying to bring our next guest in, uh, this came over the wire last night, and I was pulling stuff up late, late. And you know me. I'm, I'm always looking for, for new information to give you guys. But just recently, um, the Office of Co- Congressional Ethics, the OCE, uh, found by a vote of six to zero that Representative Marie Newman, a Democrat out of Illinois in Congress, bribed an opponent with a job in exchange for dropping out of the race against her. Um, it had to be uh, pretty uh, darn obvious in order to get all three Democrats to vote against her. Her defense is rather silly. She claims that since she had not yet been elected, she could not promise Layman Chachady a job within her congressional office. In addition, after she won her seat, she refused to hire Chachady because she also claimed that an agreement made before she obtained office was not binding. Well, this guy sued Newman in 2021 over his deceit. Otherwise, the agreement would never have become known. So Newman could be facing serious sanctions right up to expulsion from the House for violating rules regulating the hiring of congressional staffers and contractors. So we may find, and if anyone remembers Newman, uh, she was a member, you know, a little bit on the side, but she was part of the squad, one of AOC's uh, gals. So uh, we may have a House member that uh, may end up being expelled. Um, She is the communications vice chair for the Congressional Progressive Caucus. She's often associated with the far-left squad due to her endorsement from New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was one of eight Democrats to vote against funding for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system and is the supporter of the Green New Deal. Ah, they're starting to drop like flies. Well, we've got a caller in on the line. Let's see, Let's see who this is. Uh, this is Billy. You're listening to Southern Sense here. Billy this is the host. 
All right, and I'm the host, Annie, the Radio Chickadee. Uh, you have a question or a comment? I do. My name is Billion, and uh, I don't think you call yourself the host at all, first of all. But I am from Alabama right there, and I do have a question right there. Peace right. right. So when everybody eats peace right, it does, it's different. And I wonder what the God, what the thing, see, I'm trying not to cook, what the, what, what the difference is this in peace there from country to country to country there, because apparently you're from France. And I believe you're from France out there. You had some pea soup. But when I had pea soup here in Alabama, you know what I had there? We had some pea soup. We were poor people. And sometimes that means, you know what I mean, just peeing right in the soup just to give it some more vinegar or something. I don't know. All right. We've got ourselves a troll here. Yeah, definitely a troll. And no, I am not from France. And if anyone doesn't know my dialect, then they don't know a New Yorker. And, by the way, I never peed in my pea soup. Matter of fact, I make a pretty damn good pea soup. And if you don't put ham in the pea soup, then you ain't got pea soup. Anyway, that's what we had there, Curtis. Mm-hmm. We had ourselves a troll. <laughs> yeah. I agree with the Sasquatch in the chat room. What the? Yeah. <laughs> and that was the phoniest southern accent. Actually, not an accent. It's a dialect. Phoniest American southern dialect I have ever heard. If that guy is from the South, then then I'm out. Then I must be Biden. <laughs> That's as far as he is from the South. Anyway, Curtis, uh, you still with me, Kurt? Did I lose Curtis now? And I've lost Curtis. Oh, good. This is this is going good. I I told you I was going to jinx myself. I knew I was going to jinx myself. Okay. Anyway, we'll just keep on carrying on. This is a little something that gives us hope. It came across this one last night also. And this was highly unexpected. Um, This is from uh, Simon Daly. And where did he put this? I'm watching to see if I can find out where this was originally published. Uh, This looks like it was in the Patriot Chronicles. Hmm. The tables are starting to turn here, folks. People are starting to get the message. Um, In this one, uh, I'll just read it to you so that you understand where I'm coming from in this one. This is why I say the tables are starting to turn. People are starting to get the message out there. And a man is a man, a woman is a woman. It doesn't matter how many hormones you do. Your DNA is still going to come back male or female. And this is how... Simon Daly writes, he writes, writes, well, that's unexpected. Radical libs have been stomping on the rights of actual women to to cater to confused men. We see this in sports all the time where women are being dominated in their own leagues by men that are identifying as women. So in a surprising turn of events, a trans woman of 30 plus years has come forward to shame the organizations that are oppressing real females. The female advocate is claiming it's unfair to confuse men to play on female sports teams. Transsexual Karina Cohen gave testimony to Indiana lawmakers in support of their latest bill, HB 1041, that aims confused men with female sports during K-12 to grade. 
quote, I am an independent and have voted for principal members of each party, unquote, Cohn told lawmakers on Monday. She added, I'm here to speak in support of HB 1041, which aims to strengthen the rights for girls and young women competing in sports. My testimony today is based on my personal opinion as a transsexual. She continues, that is a person who was born male, used pharmaceutical hormones and plastic surgery to feminize my body so I appear to be a woman. Despite having these procedures, my sex is male, and neither science nor medicine can change that. I began this process as a teenager, and although my testosterone levels have been in the female range for nearly 30 years, male puberty has endowed me with physical advantages such as height, bone structure, and increased lung capacity. For example, I stand 5 foot 10, which puts me in the 99th percentile for women's height. I am just an inch shorter than the elite women athletes in the WNBA. The average male is five inches taller than the average female. Banning males from participating in women's and girls' sports would be justified on this basis alone. Everyone can use their own eyes to observe how these advantages play out in the real world. The most recent example is the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, Leah Thomas, a biological male who has broken numerous school and national records, records women will be unlikely to ever match, Cohen said. If more males like Leah are permitted to compete against women, it would become common to see women marginalized in their own sport category. Continuing, I have school-age girls in my family. I know they often need support and encouragement to stick to competitive activities. When boys are allowed to compete with girls in their own sport, that is one more reason a girl has to talk herself out of participating. Opponents of HB 1041 use confusing language like transgender girls to refer to boys who are being socially and medically treated to mimic members of the opposite sex. Just like these youth who are being categorized as trans kids, I also suffered gender identity disorder as a teenager. We should have all the cement sympathy of these children and ensure they have appropriate treatment. But it is unfair to expect girls to cede their hard-won rights to make room for male students suffering from gender identity issues. It is astonishing that women's right groups are not lined up here in support of 1041. In particular, the American Civil Liberties Union is strongly against HB 1041. The ACLU is supposed to protect women's rights, not undermine them. Instead, a women and girls must rely on right-wing organizations to support their interests. It's absurd and unreal that liberal organizations are turning their backs on women's rights. Somebody needs to stand up for women and girls, and I feel compelled to do so since uh, so few members of the transgender community have come forward to support them. Cohen finished with, it's ironic that people who identify as women will not, will not risk defending women against tax on their rights. Wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> hey, they, they call themselves advancing the cause of, of women, but, 
but um, things like this, it just backfires and their face blows up. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's no comparison between male and female when it comes to upper body strength and sometimes even in, in the legs. So the, the male counterpart is always going to be a little more stronger. Uh, of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. There are some females who, could, you know, could make dust out of men. But in general, men have the advantage when it comes to strength, uh, I believe. And uh, it's just unfair to those who are competing um, as women, who are women, to to be infringed upon by um, these these interlopers who who are male but um, elected to call themselves or become females or quasi female. You know, this just the I don't know the insanity of the uh, F. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a lot to that because, um, you know, by, by that certain age, once you've gone through the puberty and everything and you've had the testosterone, your lungs are going to be bigger than a woman's. Your upper body strength, your leg strength is all going to be bigger. You're going to be taller. You're going to be stronger. It, it's a simple fact. So yeah. you, you have really no right to compete, <coughs> excuse me, in a woman's sport. So... um I'm going to forward to you, Curtis, our next guest's uh, phone number. It's going to come in on your email. Um, so I'm sending that over to you now so that we can make sure that he does call in at, at the right time. And uh, we can then have our final guest <coughs> excuse me, of the evening. But, yeah, it, it, it's not that I am being prejudiced or anti-gay or anti-trans. I'm just stating a simple biological fact. It is a fact. I mean, we had Title IX passed back in the 70s to give women the ability to compete in a sport, to get their scholarships, to find their career in the sports, to do what you're allowing men to do, and at least, you know, have a, a fair playing field. And with one fell swoop, the transgender community, the LBGTQXYZ community, has taken that away from women. So if you are a natural female, they're going to keep on trying to take that stuff away. Look at this guy, Leah Thomas. I mean, taking away the awards and accolades and, and what future earnings that these girls could earn. Because if they're going in for a scholarship, if they're going in to play professional, how are they going to compete against this individual they can't you simply can't nope. so you just closed off that access for any pure female any heterosexual female you, well you don't even have to be heterosexual just just there. be female natural born female you just you, you just, got a point there because if some guy wants to get a scholarship all you have to do is identify as a female get into that sport and beat the females, and he got a scholarship, or she has a scholarship, or whatever that you want to call them. Never thought of it that and, way. And then, what about future earnings when you go to get go for professional? You, they're watching you as you're playing in your high school and college. They're recruiting you in some of these these athletes. They recruit as young as elementary school. They start helping you to train and everything else to go into this field. That's a lot of time being spent and invested in that sport 
in whatever competition it is, be it golf, be it swimming, be it volleyball, be it, be it softball. You even have now a female pitcher in, in baseball. But whatever that competition is, you've just cut off the avenue for that individual for, for the rest of their future. So where they could have been a star player, like another Mia Hamm, that, that's, that's done. That's over with. So girls don't even try, basically, is what they're saying. The new transgender male to female has just taken that all away from you because now they're going to compete against you and you're going to lose every single time. And, and you have another what, point. You know, when it comes to, like, gymnastics and um, ice skating, um, they do start young, as young as eight or nine years old. And mm-hmm. they are, you know, they are groomed, to, to say the least, into becoming these great stars of the future. <laughs> so, yes, they put in a lot of time, and whoever um, sponsors them are putting in a lot of money, and they expect something in return. Now, not only and that, then, not only just that one girl, not just that one girl that's being harmed, that is not being given that avenue. What about her family, her support group that worked with her all those years to give her that, that love and support she needed? And the finances, the money that goes into investing into this, all that's out the window. So this one individual, and I, I really applaud her for, for standing up for this bill out in was it Illinois or Indiana. Um, I applaud her for standing up for women's rights. We need more people like that. We got our next guest in on the oh, – and then goes Curtis. <laughs> uh, I was just ready to bring our next guest in on the line, and Curtis just went and grabbed him. All right, anyway, jeez, uh, we, we, it's, it's one of those days. And, yeah, we've had a troll that kept on trying to call into the show. So uh, I, I finally – I think I finally got rid of him. But, anyway, if you're not getting a troll on the show, then you're not doing it. Air finger quotes right. So I want to bring in our next guest from the Heritage Foundation, Doug Badger. Uh, he is here we go. He is the senior fellow for domestic policy studies. Good afternoon, Doug. How are you today? Doing very well. Yeah, you know, if you're coming on a show like this, and if you don't get a troll, then you're not doing it right. You know that. <laughs> Oh, man. And, and, and Tom picked you perfect timing for this because of everything that's going on in healthcare right now. Uh, mask mandate, no mask mandate. Vaccine jab, no vaccine jab. You get the jab to prevent COVID. No, you don't prevent COVID. It just makes it lesser. Oh, but wait a minute. There are side of Holy cow. Who are we to pay attention to? And what is the science? And can we fire Fauci? <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll skip out on that last question. I mean, as far as the vaccines go, you know, uh, President Biden is fond of saying that the unvaccinated are overcrowding hospitals and uh, keeping people who have had heart attacks or been in traffic accidents uh, out of hospital beds that they're filling. Well, what we're actually seeing from states that track hospitalizations by vaccination status, CDC, by the way, does not, uh, but states like Massachusetts, is that we have pretty much almost as many vaccinated people in hospital beds with COVID as unvaccinated. And when we look at data from other countries like uh, the UK and Denmark, uh, we, we see that the, the, the vaccinated uh, 
patients outnumber the unvaccinated COVID patients. But there's a caveat. Remember, in our country and in, in these other countries as well, the vast majority of people are vaccinated. So it's, it's actually uh, the risk of hospitalization and death, even with the Omicron variant, is lower for vaccinated people than for unvaccinated people, as well as people with natural immunity. Uh, so uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a mixed message, but you're probably safer uh, to get vaccinated than to remain unvaccinated. But it's absolutely untrue to say, as the president says, that unvaccinated people are overcrowding hospitals. Yeah, I've been looking at some of those statistics. You know, some like you said, some states do have them, some don't. Um, but we're seeing that a large, the vast majority, I shouldn't say the entire majority, but a very large majority of people that are being hospitalized with this new variant um, have been vaccinated. And, and it's the unvaccinated, there's a lower number. And I find that rather ironic. It is ironic, but again, bear in mind that the percentage of vaccinated people who end up in the hospital is smaller than the percentage of unvaccinated people who end up in the hospital. So the vaccines are still providing some protection against serious illness, uh, but you know this idea of demonizing the unvaccinated and saying you're the cause of all our problems uh, is simply not supported by the data. Well, there's a, there was someone in the chat room has just pointed out uh, Sasquatch, uh, or as he knows as Bigfoot. He said, you know, Biden doesn't have a has a problem with the unvaccinated Americans, but not unvaccinated illegal aliens. <laughs> that's an irony. Well, there is. A, yeah, that's a whole other topic. Uh, what's going on on the border? People seem. Uh, remarkably unconcerned about that, or at least the administration seems remarkably unconcerned about that. Um, but, uh, you know, honestly, they've got so many problems <laughs> that they're dealing with right now, from the economy to the pandemic uh, to uh, the, 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 the Russians, uh, you know, uh, to the supply chain. Um, I imagine it's hard for them to prioritize. It is, it is. Uh- Here's another irony. Um, the federal government went and bought all these vaccine kits, and then they went and doubled down on it with the second purchase. And now they put it out there on their website, you know, how you can get up to four of these free vaccines. Uh, not vaccines. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. COVID tests. The COVID tests. COVID tests, yeah. Jeez. Yes. I apologize. Brain <laughs> fart. I'm allowed to have a brain fart every now and then. Uh, and people are just starting to get these uh, COVID tests in, but someone posted up on social network last night. They had gotten their kit. They flipped it over and saw where it was made. These COVID test kits are made in the very same country that created the COVID virus. Now, is that not irony that China, these t- kits are made in China? Well, I guess they would know a lot about this virus, huh? So maybe, <laughs> maybe they they make accurate tests. I mine haven't arrived yet. I I uh, 
uh, ordered one ordered a set through the the website a little over a week ago, and I got a text today that uh, they're in the mail, so they've left the warehouse. And uh, but I will definitely check where they're made uh, before uh, before I use them. Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I had bought some um, through I think Walmart, and I looked at it. It says the same test kit that. Uh, the government's sending out. So I went to my bathroom, and sure enough, I've got two of them in my bathroom that were made in China. So I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I found the ones made in America right here in the good old USA and ordered those, and these are going in the garbage. I'd rather lose the money and find out the kit really doesn't work. I'm glad well, I made yeah, you laugh. I mean- yeah, you, you you did. I mean, it's. Um, I, I will say though, uh, to be serious, I, I, I do think these uh, self-testing kits are a good idea. I mean, look, pretty much everything we've seen in the pandemic, or much of what we've seen in the pandemic, is the government restricting our freedom, telling us what we can't do, closing schools, closing businesses, telling us we have to wear masks and we can't go to. Uh, a, a, a ball game or a, or a movie uh, unless we show our vaccine card. All of these things are the government kind of controlling our behavior. These home testing kits enable us to kind of figure out, okay, do I have it or not, and then make intelligent decisions for ourselves as as what we as to what we ought to do and how we ought to behave. So I think the concept of these tests. Uh, is a good one, and um, I do wish uh, we'd gotten them out a year and a half ago, um, uh, but uh, during the Trump administration, the FDA really uh, uh, tied these up, wouldn't approve them until his final uh, days and weeks in office, and President Biden, you know, uh, he's got a lot of money. I mean, Congress has, has appropriated $53 billion for tests, and uh, so far, $29 billion of it remains unspent, um, but at least they're, they're, they're spending it on, on something that I think can actually help people take charge of their own health care um, as opposed to uh, the government uh, making, making decisions for us. So good for them. It's a year late, but uh, better late than never. Yeah, because you have a fantastic article up on Heritage.org. I've got to mention that one, Heritage.org. And you have it, Biden's COVID-19 test plan, too little, too late. And I I have to say, um, I had to go for a chest x-ray yesterday because I had developed a little bit of a cough. And I think it's allergy-related. But thankfully, I had the test kit in the bathroom. So I went and I did the test kit first. And then I called the doctor's office saying it came back negative. So I know we're not dealing with this. So let's look at what we're eliminating. So they sent me for the x-ray, and I was going over to the kiosk, and you punch it in with your information and everything. Then they go through the COVID questions. And usually it's no, 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 no. So when it came to cough, <laughs> I had to say, yes, but I tested negative. So they do come in handy. They do come Yeah, they, and, they do. And, and um, again, I mean, um, I hope we're over this um, this restrictive behavior by government, or I hope we're over it soon. Now, I'm a Floridian, so uh, we're sort of in the land of the free here. Governor DeSantis uh, has decided he's going to treat us as adults, make sure we understand our risks, make sure we uh, vaccines are available, making sure treatments are available for those who contract COVID. But then, 
telling us to use our good judgment as opposed to uh, the government uh, substituting its judgment for our own. Um, I hope we can get the rest of the country to look like Florida over the next uh, over the next weeks and, and months because, look, you know, zero COVID right now uh, seems like uh, probably not going to happen. Um, I can't rule it out, but you know, this is probably going to be one of those respiratory illnesses that are going to be in circulation, like the flu, like common colds, like a lot of other things that uh, float around out there. And we can't uh, invert the constitutional order forever um, be, uh, be, because of a, of a virus. So um, let's hope that we're uh, that we've turned the corner on this and uh, can go back to a more normal way of life soon. Now, um, I'm someone that's on Medicare, and I'm hearing that Medicare and Medicaid are not going to be paying for these tests if you're a senior citizen. But if you're someone that's been (laughs) – the group that's at the most at risk, you would think they they should be, you know, being catered to, and those that are still out there working and getting an income or whatever, uh, maybe you pay a percentage or whatever, but no, no, no. You're the highest at risk, and we're not going to allow you to be tested. or We're not going to pay for it, so if you can't afford it, tough luck. Yeah, it's a crazy it's, – it's kind of – that's phase two of the Biden policy. So phase one is he's mailing these out. He'll send you four free tests uh, if you order them online, and, um, you know, that, that's for everybody doesn't matter your Medicare, Medicaid, uninsured, insured, whatever. But then the second part of this is that he's mandated private health insurance companies, but not Medicare or Medicaid, <laughs> uh, to uh, provide tests, uh, free tests to people. So, of course, you have to read the fine print. Uh, if you if you if depending on your insurer, you you go into the the pharmacy, you buy them. You get the receipt, you mail it to your insurance company, and you wait to be reimbursed. But the insurance company has the option to say, well, you can only get your free tests from certain pharmacies. And if you go anywhere else, uh, you know, you, you mail them the receipt, but they'll only mail you a check for $12. Well, the, 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 the most affordable tests out there right now cost twice that. So your free test could get a little bit pricey. Um, but you, but you're absolutely right. That only applies to people with private health insurance. Most of them, obviously, under age 65. Uh, the uh, Medicare population and and uh, the Medicaid population uh, aren't going to get uh, free tests at their local pharmacies through this program. It's a crazy upside down world that we've we've entered into under this administration. I mean, I've seen crazy, and I thought Carter was the worst. And then I said, "Oh no, maybe Obama's beating Carter." Not oh, there's an even tie there, but holy moly, who's got it hands down in this administration? I've got to say, it, it, and none of this makes sense to us at all. And you hear Fauci say one thing one day about. Um, the mask mandates and you have to have the jab. And the next thing he says something completely opposite the next day. You never know which, which direction this guy's going to come at you with. And yet he says, I am the science. Uh, no, science is science and you are just a talking head. 
I, I do wish. I mean, the, the, the Biden administration has sort of made him their spokesperson. I mean, he's, he seems to be on TV every Sunday morning. Um, and you never quite know what it is he's going to say this week versus uh, last week. But, yeah, the, the, the comment he made that I represent science, and he used that to say, what is your response to Republican senators who have criticized you? Um, you know, he's got to show a little more humility. He's a very smart guy. He's been in government forever. Uh, you know, he's he's trained in immunology, and, and you know, he's forgotten more than I've ever known. But, uh, you know, he, he's been wrong about this a lot. Uh, no, no, no fault of his, but... Um, he, he thought he knew an awful lot of stuff that, that he, you know, he finds out he, he didn't know. But it would go down a lot easier with people who have criticized him and people who have lost faith in him if he showed a little less arrogance, a little more humility, a little more willingness to say, look, I don't have all the answers. Um, this is what I think is true. And, and most of all, if he said, if he were able to say to people, look, this is what we understand the science to be, and, and you need to make good decisions for yourselves and your family, we're not going to make them for you. Uh, that's not the government's role in a democracy. Um, I would uh, not go to say fire Fauci, but, I, but, it, but boy, if, he, if we could reform Dr. Fauci, uh, I, I think we'd all be better off. Fire Fauci. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say it for you. Don't worry about it. Fire Fauci. <laughs> well, we, we did have one reprieve with the Supreme Court ruling on the OSHA mandate, and even OSHA has pulled back on it. Yet I'm seeing in yesterday's news Biden's trying to figure out a way around that by not making it a temporary mandate but making it a permanent regulation through OSHA. But the Supreme Court said you can only do the mandate, you know, for the medical field, but you can't do it for private industry. You can do it for government because it's a requirement for being hired into government. That's fine. But private industry, you can't touch. And yet he's still trying to figure out a way to force this on everyone. Yeah, and I, we've written, um, my, co- my heritage colleague Paul Larkin and I have written a law review article about that, and we said long ago we – uh, that that OSHA did not have the authority to do it. Now, to clarify your point, they used something called an emergency temporary standard, and that allows them to take certain actions without going through the usual rulemaking process where you have to get comment from the public and so forth. Um, and it was technically the emergency temporary standard that the Supreme Court um, you know, came came down and said, no, you can't do this. Now, they could go through a normal rulemaking process and issue a final rule uh, trying to accomplish the same thing. That would take some time, number one. And number two, the question to the court is still pretty much the same. Did Congress authorize an occupational safety agency you know, guys that say you got to wear hard hats and goggles in the workplace and this sort of thing, to suddenly become a public health agency and tell people, no, we're not requiring you to wear a hard hat now that you can take off at the end of your shift. We're going to require you to get a vaccine injected that's going to be in your body for the rest of your life. 
And the court said no. Uh, so whether it's an emergency rule, which the court has already struck down, or a rule that's made through the normal process, my own view is that the Supreme Court is going to say the same thing. And I, I, I think, look, this is the second time uh, the administration has been struck down on something. Remember, the Centers for Disease Control had the eviction mandate where the CDC was telling landlords around the country, you can't evict somebody who hasn't paid the rent in six months uh, because there's a public health emergency. And the court said, no, you can't do that. Three weeks later, he announced the OSHA vaccine mandate. At some point, you have to learn an executive order is not a royal decree. You cannot, as president, make law, and your subordinates in the executive branch can't make law. Their powers only extend as far as Congress has uh, authorized them in statutes that it passes. Congress has not authorized any of these agencies to do eviction moratoriums or vaccine mandates or anything else. And let's, st you know, let's stop with the unlawful actions. Stay in your lane. You're the president, not the emperor, and understand that people's elected representatives make laws, not you and not your political appointees in the agencies. That's a huge amen. And, you know, I, I was reading the article that you wrote with uh, Paul Larkin, and uh, you go really deep into the weeds in uh, citing chapter and verse. He made me cross my eyes. <laughs> but it was was highly formative, informative. Uh, but it is a scary thing that the fact that uh, with a regulation, a regulation can have the power of a law with the full enforcement of the federal government behind it. And that is the scariest part of the swamp, which we're hoping we can eventually clean up, which don't hold your breath, folks. It's not happening under this administration, that's for sure. But the, the, this government is using this COVID pandemic, it's probably now an endemic uh, at this point, the way it's, it's petering out, but they're using this as an excuse to grab power in unprecedented ways. It's like, how dare you speak out and say ivermectin or Regeneron or any of these other treatments work very, very well. So there are other things we can do for you and help you save your life. And the federal government says no, because it's ivermectin and you're on Medicare, or you receive Medicare or Medicaid funds. We're not allowing that hospital to give it to you. That's scary. Yeah, I think that that's another way in which government has taken steps that are really out of keeping both with the authority that they've been given by Congress and the way things usually work. The Food and Drug Administration is, you know, they decide whether a product is safe and effective and whether it can be sold in interstate commerce. Congress has given them that authority. They've had that authority for decades, you know, close to 100 years, and that's fine. But as far as prescribing that medication, we have always said that's a decision for a doctor and a patient. So if a doctor wants to write a prescription for a drug for, for a, a, a use that the FDA hasn't specifically approved, the doctor has that liberty. Uh, 
because we understand it's not the government that practices medicine. It's doctors and nurses and others in that profession who practice medicine. And as a patient, I want to be able to make decisions talking to my doctor, not having a decision made in a government cube farm in in Washington. And I do wish that um, we would get back to that understanding of this. I don't, I'm not smart enough to know whether ivermectin works or ivermectin doesn't work, but that should be a conversation I'm having with my doctor and what does he think or what does she think and, and does it, does it work for me? FDA has, has said, look, it's, this is, this drug is safe for humans, this business that it's a horse tranquilizer or whatever. It, it's, it's, yes, it's approved for vet, it's, veterinary use, but it's also, in a different form, approved for, for human use as well. Uh, let's let doctors and patients decide uh, what I'm going to put in my body to, to treat a disease, uh, not have those decisions uh, made centrally in Washington. Well, you know, I've learned a lot with uh, Ron Johnson's recent uh, symposium or whatever you want to call it, with the other doctors and healthcare providers on uh, COVID uh, and the treatments and the vaccinations. I haven't finished the entire five hours, but there's a lot of information out there. But I'm also hearing reports of patients being denied the ivermectin by the attending physician in the hospital uh, because the hospital will yank their visiting privilege and possibly lose their license uh, of the doctor. But patients are, are Families, the patients' families are going to outside doctors and sneaking these medications in with, you know, fantastic results. Uh, I think there was like something like a 99.9% uh, recovery rate with the families of patients taking the bull by the horns on their own, bypassing the hospital authority. Well, this is the sort of thing that shouldn't have to go on uh, at, at all, as I said. Again, uh, you know, Dr. John, or Senator Johnson assembled a very esteemed group of, of physicians. I, I'm not at that level. I don't know iver, ivermectin, what the evidence is for, against, or whatever. I do know it's been approved as safe by the FDA uh, and that it is allowed to be sold pursuant to a prescription by a doctor. And And the idea that corporations and government are restricting the authority of a physician to to write a prescription for an approved medication is is really scary uh i i don't think we want to go there um i where, where there's a lot wrong with our healthcare system uh but the way to fix what's wrong is by empowering doctors and patients and reducing the power of government and insurance company bureaucrats. And unfortunately, as you point out, with the pandemic, we've seen things moving in, in some ways in the wrong direction. We've seen some positive things, too. As I mentioned, this business of being able to test yourself at home for COVID, that, that, that's a big deal. And I hope we start to see that in other products and tests that the FDA will approve to let us have insights into what's going on with our own health. We shouldn't have to. Um, we, we shouldn't have to go through uh, uh, a whole process in, in order, you know, pay a doctor and pay a laboratory to get a test 
that I can that I can do at home. We've seen some progress with telemedicine, where we're able to consult with with our doctors without having to uh, uh, without having to actually go into the office. So we've seen some good things, and I'd love to see those uh, improved, built on, enlarged. But we've also seen some bad things, and one of the bad things is uh, restricting doctors in how they practice medicine. Um, that that's that's not good for uh, uh, the health of this country in the long run. Well, Doug, it has been a, such fun speaking with you today. I want to thank Tom. Tell Tom I said thank you for sending you over to me. You're welcome back anytime. Just tell him, tap him on the shoulder. Hey, get me out of that broad show again. <laughs> Well, I'd love to be on and, and uh, um, hope to be invited back. Oh, absolutely. Doug Badger, you can check him out at heritage.org. Thank you very much, and enjoy your weekend, Doug. God bless. You too. All right. That's all we got for today, Curtis, and we will be back here next week. We have Kat Kamak will be joining us. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, – constitutional attorney uh john o'connor will be back we'll be talking to him about scotus and it looks like kathy burnett is going to end up rebooking maybe we can get her back next friday too yeah she, and, she apologizes for that she was on the road and uh oh, it's lost, understandable yeah lost her signal oh it's understandable but we'll get um, back yeah, we should have Mark Tapscott back next week. I'll check with uh, Victoria whether or not we're getting her back on. But we had great guests. I mean, I had so much fun today. Uh, everyone was fantastic and, and it was a pleasure and a joy to speak with. So we will be back here, same bat time, same bat station, next week. And I leave you with our closing song from Gary Pecorella, Save America, which is what we got to do. So God bless and good night. I'm free for this land I've America, America, the home of the free. But there are people making plans to change America. They've no respect for her, or what matters most to me. That's why I stand for the flag And I kneel at the cross Mom, for the friends I have loved and lost And ask you, we got each other And the freedom I fall for these plans I hope it's not too late To save America
Amen.